Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sully Sport Tub. Today we're going to be talking maybe about my favorite topic to discuss, and that's the NFL draft and specifically quarterbacks. Uh, I think it's one of the most uh, difficult things to talk about because of how much complexity there is around it, how much unknown there is, but also one of the most fun because you're projecting forward over a long-term basis. And today, to, to talk with me a little bit about that, I've got my friend from Tuscaloosa, John Hancock, here today. So, John, I know, like I just mentioned, I love the NFL draft. You know, what are you similar in that? What what makes you, you know, interested in talking about dra- the draft and specifically quarterbacks? I uh, I've been I've been following the draft for a while now. I remember playing NFL head coach uh, <laughs> relentlessly throughout high school. Um, I've always appreciated the team building aspect, and you know, especially in the modern NFL. It is so hard to build a team if you don't have at least competency, if not excellence at quarterback. So uh, finding those difference makers is always really challenging. And you know, a lot of times teams are trying to identify traits that can translate. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And that's what makes it so interesting is kind of looking in and saying, what worked in the past and will that work with these guys? Yeah, and I think one thing you mentioned there really applies to this year's class and to some extent I think can drive a lot of college fans mad because I, I think there's a, a large sentiment that I've maybe heard larger than ever uh, from this year's college football season of like the NFL just doesn't understand. How on earth can they have guys like Anthony Richardson and Will Levis up there in the same category as guys like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud? And you know, we'll get into those guys. We'll talk about you know how how we view them specifically, but I do think that what you mentioned about identifying traits and not maybe relying as much upon you know numbers or team success as we might think about in a college level is a large disconnect, and I think that's demonstrated itself this year more than ever. And part of that is the balance between upside and a sure thing. And I know for myself, I usually trend more towards the upside guy. That's just kind of how my my thought process goes. I know last year, like we both thought Malik Willis was probably the best pick in last year's class. And to so far, you know, if you've watched Kenny Pickett, you would probably say that, you know, okay, that's that does not look like it's going to be the case. And maybe Willis develops down the road. But I think that's more how I trend it would you agree that that's that's more where your thought process goes or are you a guy that you know likes to have more of a sure thing at the top of the draft when especially for these GMs their jobs are going to be on the line yeah I think uh I think it really depends uh I do value upside a lot and I think we'll get into that with a couple of the guys that you're alluding to uh, in this year's class but I think that you can you can view upside in different ways and sometimes the guys that Maybe they they don't have the the elite elite physical traits, but they have good physical traits, and their processing is elite. That can present different kinds of upside because you know those guys can come in right away and immediately trans or like transcend uh, what came before and like really transform an offense into something completely different. Yeah, and I think especially as we kind of enter this new era of quarterbacking, where mobility and playmaking outside of the pocket seem to be much more valuable than we previously 
you know, thought about, you know, it used to be guys, you had Tom Brady, you had Peyton Manning, you had Drew Brees as kind of the, the top guys. And then Aaron Rodgers is kind of the quarterback that bridges that gap between what we have now, which is guys like Mahomes, Josh Allen, even Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. Burrow might be the least mobile of those guys. And I think he still demonstrates great playmaking ability. And, and so I think that speaks to kind of the prototype of what teams are looking for now. And I think that makes the evaluation with a lot of these guys this year really interesting. So we're going to get to the top four. I think everybody in their mind has separated um, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis as the, the four guys that they think are separated from the rest of the class this year. But first, we want to talk a little bit about the depth in this class. And first, I just want to talk about generally, you know, maybe if you on a scale of one to t- one to 10, five being like an average class, or you could just speak generally about the class. You know, how do you think this quarterback draft class stacks up relative to an average class? You know, this is so hard to, to really project. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about being, this is such a difficult process to try to figure out this side of it as it is like looking back. Um, I'd say that this is as much top end talent as we've seen in uh, in recent classes. At least uh, we obviously had the uh, the twenty 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 one. We had five first rounders, but I'd say that the top end talent in this one in this class might be better overall. Um, but I think that the depth is really interesting. Um, I know we were talking a little bit before we started recording. There are a lot of a lot of older guys uh, who had really successful college careers, um, and that can be a bad thing. You know, you might look at it and say, "Well, they're all like 24 years old or older uh, in their rookie season, so you know, how much can they really develop?" But I think that that experience that they bring, some teams will really value that, especially as potential uh, developmental guys or. Um, or backup types. I think that this class actually could have several backup types, uh, which I think I think does make it a little bit above average. I think this is an interesting class uh, for that reason, uh, because you know usually if you I, I was looking through some older classes, and you'll have like two or three guys that play long term, and you might have like one or two backups, and then everybody else are just like practice squad journeymen out of the NFL in a couple of years types. Uh, but I think that this this group could potentially have uh, two to four long-term starters as well as another couple or even three like backup types. Yeah, I think I agree with the above average classification because you know when you think back to like the the year that five quarterbacks were taken in the first round with Trevor, you know Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, um, Mack and Fields, the I think what separates that class to me is that it had the the unquestioned like this is a this is a top tier prospect in Trevor Lawrence, and this year I I don't know if we have that I, I think there's a lot more discussion about any of these guys potentially you know going in any order from that top four whereas that class it seemed like the draft really started at two with the Jets taking Zach Wilson and from there the the drama kind of unfolded. But I agree. I think there's a lot of guys in this class where I I watch and I say, okay, yeah, like I could see that guy sticking around as a backup for a long time, whether it's the, you know, the mental side of the game or their mobility, their ability to extend plays. I think there's a lot of guys like that in this class. And so we'll go ahead and talk about a couple of the guys outside of the top four before we spend the majority of our time 
on those guys. So for you, are there any guys that, that stand out to you outside of the top four as guys that could potentially be, you know, a starter at some point in their career or just, you know, a guy that sticks around in the NFL for a long time as a pretty solid player? Yeah. Um, you know, this is, I think everybody's ranks start changing at five and you get a wide variance. Um, but for me, I, I really, I like Hinden Hooker. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be like starter, uh, level, um, Obviously, biggest thing for him, he'll be 25 this year. Uh, that's pretty old for a, a rookie uh, in the NFL. Um, he's coming off the ACL, so he's probably not going to be 100%. Um, he, he, I'm not sure. I haven't really heard much about his injury update, but I know that I've personally, if if I were managing a guy who is not, you know, you're not expecting him to come in and start right away. I would want him to take as long as he needs to recover, so he might not even see the field this year, uh, which again, at 25, is kind of concerning. But I think that somebody is definitely going to take a chance on him because, you know, you watch you watch him and the the upside, the, the high end, is, is actually really good. Uh, I went back and watched his tape against Alabama, and it was very painful, <laughs> uh, first of all. <laughs> But uh, his game against Alabama was really, really good. Um, he plays with a lot of timing, um, and you know that that can be a bad thing. When you know, I watched a little bit against uh, Georgia and LSU, and some of those things didn't open up as easily, and he struggled a little bit more. Uh, but against Alabama, when the, the their offense was designed to uh, open up certain receivers and certain routes, and when it was there. He anticipated it really well. He was able to hit those passes. Uh, he is a little bit inconsistent at times. I uh, saw him throwing high a lot against Georgia. Yeah. Um, he was a lot more accurate against Alabama, and I think that some of that might have been pressure. Uh, Georgia pressured him a lot better than Alabama did. Uh, but, again, when it was there, it was really good. Um, you definitely you know you're getting a high-character guy. You're getting a leader. Uh, he was he was a big leader on the Tennessee team. I think they're going to miss that a lot. Um, so I, I think it just comes down to the flashes. Um, oh, one other thing that I really I liked about him a lot, his mobility outside of the pocket is good, not great. He's not the fastest guy, but for his for his size, he's he's pretty mobile. Um, but I think that it is best inside the pocket. Uh, he has he has a lot of suddenness, a lot of quickness to to make uh, certain small adjustments in the pocket to avoid pressure. Um, but it, it does come down to: Do you think you can develop that uh, consistency uh, and make those flashes a lot more steady? And also the age and injury: Is he going to be able to you know, contribute before he gets past his prime? Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of important stuff there. And you mentioned at the very beginning the age. And especially for a guy that's going to be probably a backup coming into the league, I think that's much more of a concern because at that point you start to think like, okay, is there any more juice to squeeze out of him at this point? Like, is he really going to get a lot better as a backup and develop? Or are you just keeping the same guy 
on your bench that he's going to enter the league as. And I think, you know, that's not just a concern with him. There's a lot of guys in this class that are older guys because of the COVID year that's been tacked on. And I think the transfer portal has added to that as well, where guys are getting extra opportunities to further their careers. But yeah, especially the movement thing you mentioned with Hooker, I find really interesting because he is so awkward. Like when he <laughs> when he runs, it is just like super, you know, jarring. Like every step looks like he's just he doesn't have any idea where he's about to run towards and it call, he also gets blown up because of that sometimes like he, he will just like fly right into defenders and get hit and i that does concern me a little bit because it he is a bigger guy so he can take those hits a little bit more but i am concerned that the awkwardness is going to cause him to not you know be as effective maybe mo- in a mobile way as he could be but also i think he makes guys miss sometimes with the change of direction like it it plays both ways but you're right it definitely contributes the most in the pocket because then just a little shuffle is all you need you don't have to get up to top speed when you're moving in the pocket but I was impressed. I, his arm strength was better than I thought it was going to be. Just like going into the tape, like I thought he did a better job of throwing with with strength and on target for the most part. But I agree. Like the he he was. I thought the accuracy was going to be better than than I it was when I watched. You mentioned the throws sailing. I thought that was consistent. Just not even just in the Georgia game, but like across his tape, I thought a lot more throws sailed than they needed to, and it it did feel like to me that. When the throws were not there against better competition, I didn't see a ton change with him. Like I saw him still attempting the same throws, and then they just weren't open that time. So I would have liked to see more adjustment with that. But I also know that with Heupel's offense, like it's that's kind of how it works. Like you just you run your three routes and you hope one of them's open, and a lot of times they're going to be. But when the talent's better on the other side, you're you're going to be stuck sometimes. So. How do you, how do you kind of balance that? Because you know this system is so far from what he's probably going to be doing in the NFL. Like, how do you balance that with a guy that you know he's probably going to have to adapt to a whole new system? But also, he may have not been able to show some things that he otherwise would have in a more pro style offense. Yeah, I think this I think this really hurts Jalen Hyatt as well because he's a pure speed guy, and Heupel designed his offense so well that Jalen Hyatt would. He would run a route and have nobody on him. Uh, if you if you go watch his touchdowns at Alabama, every single one Dude, it's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> he's lined up on Demarco Hellams on pretty much every single one of those touchdowns, and he just ran right by him. Um, yeah. So it reminds me of like a basketball game where it's just like, okay, we're gonna run the pick and roll. We're gonna switch the big guy <laughs> on the guard who's really fast, and then the guard's just gonna go score like every play, except. They didn't have to switch anything because Alabama just kept lining up in the exact same defense. I, like, yeah, it's, it was I bad. remember watching it. I was like, why is DeMarco Hellum still lined up on Jalen Hyatt every play? And I, I think part of it is uh, Hypel is such a good offensive mind and knows how to exploit those weaknesses. But I think it does hurt. Uh, I think it does hurt both of them as prospects because they don't necessarily get to showcase everything they can do when they're operating in that system. And I think uh, I think this goes back to what we'll talk about with a couple of the the top four, but it's looking for those traits. Uh, you look for the arm. Uh, Hooker actually he does, like you mentioned, have a really a good arm. I don't know if he has the zip that some of the other quarterbacks have, but as far as a deep ball thrower, he can push the ball downfield. Yeah. And he does. Uh, I think one of the things that he does when he's not sailing them long, he. He is uh, pretty good about putting touch on the ball 
which is probably better than uh, one of those uh, top four that we'll talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even a couple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, with him too, like, I think he does a pretty good job deciding like when to run or pass. Like he, it seems like he has, even though he's like awkward in the way he moves, like it does seem like he is a pretty good processor. It just doesn't like translate to him running, I guess. <laughs> but also the, with him, I do think that he, and this goes back to, I think the, the problem we talked about earlier, I did feel like he got really comfortable with clean pockets and getting the ball out fast and then when pressure came, it was sometimes difficult for him to to adjust and make plays out of that. And, you know, he's not a guy that's going to make a ton of plays out of structure. But I I was hoping for a little more from him in that regard. But like I think it's interesting you mentioned with Hooker and Hyatt because I, th- I think there's like you can make an argument both ways where especially Hyatt, like I don't know if Hyatt really gets to show his speed in another offense but now you're also at the point where, okay, like the questions are how complete is he? And so there's that balance of, okay, like Hooker got to show a lot of the things he's really good at. But like you said, there's questions about other parts of his game that, that may have been answered somewhere else. But you saw like the jump from him at Tennessee compared to when he was at Virginia Tech was was astronomical. So, you know, he he did make a pretty big leap under Heupel's watch there at Tennessee. So I think with Hooker, I... I, he's 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 sixth on my board. There is one guy outside of the top four I like a little more than him, and we'll talk about him next. But I think I would be okay taking him like third round. Probably like I would probably prefer like later third round for a team that maybe needs a backup that that probably wants him to be available sooner rather than later. Because I I just don't know if you can like stash a guy that's twenty five years old. But I do think like. He is he's talented enough and good enough in the pocket where like it would not stun me if he is a starter at some point. Now there's other guys like Daniel Jeremiah like had him in his top fifty prospects. Like I was listening to like I was listening to move the sticks with him and Bucky Brooks and Bucky Brooks was talking about like him going in the first round. Like I I mean they're way smarter than I am, but like I think that's kind of insane. Like I do not see that with him at all at this point, especially with the age. But I do think like this guy is a pretty good player. Like it would not surprise me if at some point he's a bottom end starter in the league. Yeah, I. That is really rich for me. Um, I even even third round would be pushing it. Uh, I I think kind of like you said, you, you hope that he's there a little bit later than that. Uh, I would I would really want him in like the fourth round range where uh, you're kind of banking on physical skills and hoping that uh, something works out. Um, but I, as far as like talent. I still don't know. <laughs> Top fifty. That that's a little rich for me. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, it was, it was, I saw that. I was like, wow, man. Like, yeah. And he like, I mean, he stood on it. Like he he came and defended it. Like tried to explain it, but it just yeah, takes one I, team. So yeah, exactly. Like I I just think I'm a little lower on some of the like you know they they're in like love with the intangibles and all that yeah. kind of stuff and, and that stuff's important. But in the end, like and he's I got that. Probably so. Yeah, he has that for sure. But I, I think the what I why I'm probably a little lower is just like I was disappointed with the accuracy compared to where I thought it was going to be on tape. I, I thought that he was going to perform a little better in that regard than he did. Um, all right. I think that wraps up our talk on hooker. Um, let's, I'll, I'm going to mention a couple guys outside of this real quick that I think probably have a chance to go like fourth, fifth round. We don't need to really spend much time on them just for, for time's sake. But I think you have some guys like they could go around the fourth round that are a little more mobile guys like Jaron Hall, like, I was pretty impressed with Dorian Thompson Robinson compared to what I expected. Like he he's a really explosive athlete 
And then I think you also have some guys that are more um, just system guys that seem like they just execute everything. Like Aiden O'Connell is a guy that I thought like his film was pretty clean. Now, like I don't, he can't really create anything. And then Tanner McKee is like another guy that's more of a statue, but there are some guys that belong in that fourth round range, but I don't know if any of them are worth like long discussion. Like are are there any of those guys that you want to highlight? Um, not not really. Uh, Tanner McKee's getting a lot of love. Uh, I think it's a lot to do with the size. Uh, I heard that he was like pretty mobile for his size, but when I watched, he it's, dude, he, no he is not. <laughs> uh, you can look at his. He didn't do the forty at the combine, but his agility scores are pretty low. So he, he yeah. he's a in the pocket. If it's if it's short range and if it's there, like. Sure. Yeah, he, he can definitely make some of those throws, but Yeah, I thought he had a pretty good arm because I mean he's a bigger guy, so he's he's six foot six. I think I think that's why people are kind of like him a little is because yeah. he's six foot six. He he was a high rated recruit, so they're thinking like, okay, maybe there's something left in there. But and yeah, Stanford was so bad. Like you watch there was yeah, nothing around bad. him. Like he, he didn't really have anything to work with. No, like the reason they were bad is not obviously like not his fault at all, but I mean it wasn't like Carson Strong bad, but like he was getting close to that in terms of being a sitting duck in the pocket. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 once once pressure came in, like it, it was over. So yeah, like I don't think he was an elite enough guy in the other aspects to make up for just the like complete lack of athleticism. But yeah, I think I don't know. I think my favorite guy in that group is probably Dorian Thompson Robinson, just because like you like he he has wow plays. DTR is fun. Yeah, like this is probably more of like a stash guy like you're if he had to play this year in the nfl like he and if he started a full season he might throw 20 interceptions <laughs> like he just has like one decision a game where it's like i have no idea what you were thinking there. and like he'll telegraph throws like he just he he really tries to be the hero and he's not very accurate downfield either but i he, he had a way better arm than i anticipate like he's he's got like a you know people always talk about like the baseball arm like he has real whip on his throws, he's super mobile. Like the agility is the 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 best part of his game. Like the change of direction is elite. I thought he had like decent vision, but it's just super inconsistent when he's throwing the ball. And you know, he, I thought he was pretty good over the middle of the field. Uh, he he loved throwing to uh, Jake Bobo, like the kind of wide receiver tight end like hybrid guy. Like that guy caught like everything over the middle from him. I I still like I think I would take him in like the fourth, but he's definitely the most exciting guy to me out of that group. Yeah. Um, I haven't watched a ton of him. I remember when he was a freshman, he, he was playing like immediately uh, for UCLA and he played a lot, uh, but he's definitely like, he's a physical traits guy. He, he, like you said, he's got the arm, he's got the, uh, the mobility, the agility, uh, and actually has pretty good size too to go with that. Like I did not expect. Yeah, that. yeah, six two. I, yeah. I saw that measurement. I was like, wow. Okay, I, I was thinking he was closer to like five eleven, six feet. So that's a good sign for him. Yeah. So I think that I think you are right. He'll he'll be in that mid round uh, developmental range, and if he if he ends up figuring out some of the some of the other parts, and part of it is he he played for for Chip Kelly the last year. So like, yeah. He'll have to transition into learning a real offense, uh, and I think that he might be—he might take some time to learn that. But if he can do that, he's one of those that I think has potential to stick around as a backup type. Um, and if he's not immediately a backup type, he could be one of those like like Josh Johnson who bounced around forever. 
uh, and was just always like this third quarterback for all these different teams. Emergency, like, can do some stuff that you can work with. Yeah, yeah. If he can clean up some of the like terrible mistakes, like I, I think that's where he really sticks around as a backup in his career because. You know, it's going to be like if you bring him in and a backup and he just like first play is going to make a terrible decision, like that's not going to last very long. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. But now we'll talk about one more guy before we get into the top four. The guy like I was really surprised with because I, I don't know if I had watched like more than one game of them this year was Clayton Toon from Houston. I, I really liked what I saw from him. Not not to the point where I would take him in the first round or anything. Like I think this is probably still like a – like maybe a late second at most, like probably third round guy. But I thought he was by far the most physically impressive of those guys outside the top four. And I thought he still had like pretty decent accuracy. I thought he threw a touch pretty well. The ball placement was a lot better than I was expecting. And Houston, I mean, they threw the ball all day, like every play and he, so he had a lot of opportunities to make really like tight window throws which you didn't get to see as much from a lot of other guys in this class so you definitely got to see more chances from him but I thought like he was pretty consistent in those you know the downsides with him like he's he's not super agile he's pretty stiff in the pocket he's kind of one of those guys like he's he's not even close to as athletic as Will Levis but I think it's kind of similar in the sense of like he runs way more like Josh Allen than he does like a Lamar where he just, he just barely forward, but he can move. Like it, it's just straight line speed. It's not agility at all. And he's not a great thrower on the move. He does have like some over aggressive decisions and just some blatant misreads. But I think that overall I was pretty impressed with his physical tools and thought that he made a lot of difficult throws compared to a lot of the other guys in this class. Yeah. I, uh, I actually have not watched a lot of Clayton Toon. Uh, I I've just heard a little bit. Um, I know some people really like him a lot, um, but yeah, I, I don't really have any thoughts <laughs> on him. Okay, yeah, I mean, it's just but he, I don't know. It's like watching him. It was just like, oh, like this is actually a pleasant surprise. Like I was expecting, just kind of like boring, like you know, run and shoot offense, yeah. or whatever. But like he he he's flashed a little bit, so I wanted to shout him out. But I think that kind of covers our discussion of the guys outside the top four. Um, Stetson Bennett shouldn't be drafted. That's, that's, well, he, outside of his, (laughs) we we gotta at least mention like outside of being small, he's Bryce Young size. Uh, He has also had a terrible pre-draft process for a guy that was like already going to be a late round pick at best. He just keeps shooting himself in the foot. Yeah, yeah, it's I don't know. I I I already was not a big Stetson Bennett person yeah. and then watching their games back this year. Dude, the Todd Munkin and the rest of that offense. Todd Munkin is a genius. Game, they were which as a Ravens fan, like yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. But now we just got to keep Lamar, but <laughs> with, like he was not even accurate. Like no. he, he didn't I, have to I, be. I don't I No, and he, that's the thing is like even there'd be throws where okay, what okay you missed Darnell Washington six foot seven he's just gonna reach up and grab the ball out of the air but yeah when in the closer like in the games where teams were actually defending Georgia fairly well and had athletes to match I was not very impressed with him so I mean I've I've never been a huge Stetson Bennett guy but yeah that was that was pretty bad there's there's a couple other you know there's your Max Duggins your yeah. Jake Hayner's the like 
just guys that don't really have the size or the athleticism or arm strength to, to last. But I mean, they can definitely stick around as a backup if they, if they find the right landing spot, but all right, let's go ahead and jump in to the top four. So I think what we're going to do here is just talk about each guy individually, kind of their strengths and weaknesses, like what we want to, what we want to see from them um, as, as they enter their NFL careers, what our projection is for them. And then I think we can rank them at the end and kind of discuss that a little bit, their placement. Um, and then at the very end, we actually are recording this just as the Panthers have traded up to draft the, at the number one slot, which we'll talk about that blockbuster and then a little bit about team fit for these top quarterbacks um, as well. So let's go ahead and take a break here, and then we'll be right back with the top four discussion. All right, we're back for the top four discussion. This is probably what you're actually listening for, not Stetson Bennett talk. But to start with these guys, um, I think all of these guys have a legitimate case to belong in the top ten. You know, they're ever at whether you know we might agree on that or not. There's a lot of people that think all of these guys belong, which I think makes it a really interesting discussion because I don't think there's a clear ranking in this group. And that, I think, makes it a lot more fun to talk about. Uh, I know last year we pretty much had like the exact same rankings. I kind of hope that's not the case this year so that we can you know, discuss that a little bit, disagree on those things. But to start, we'll start. Let's see. We'll avoid our biases at first. I'm a Florida fan. John's a Bama fan. Let's start with CJ Stroud. <laughs> Probably the most polished guy in this class when you're just talking to, especially when you're talking about the pure throwing. He put on a show at the combine, which confirmed everything that people already believed about his throwing. His accuracy is great. Uh, I always think back to, I, I remember hearing Joel Klatt talk about yards after catch is timing and ball placement. And I think like CJ Stroud is the definition of that within this Ohio State offense that he operated in. He understands how to lead his receivers away from contact, lead them right up to the boundary. Like there's a couple seam routes that he threw. I think there was one against Iowa that was just like in the back of the end zone and just a absolutely perfect throw. And I think that's where you start with him. This guy, I mean, I think if, if, if it was 2007, I'm not sure there really would be much discussion about who would go number one because he's certainly the most prototypical, like pro ready guy out of this group. And and I think that's the most, uh, the thing that stands out the most about CJ Stroud. So John, what are your thoughts on him as a prospect? And you know, what, what other skills do you think he brings to the table? Yeah, I think you, you kind of nailed it. Uh, my first thing that I have for him is he's just natural. He, he, as a passer, he, it's just effortless. Um, you talk about arm talent, you know, he, he doesn't have the arm strength, that uh, Anthony Richardson or Will Levis have, but he has a good arm. And arm talent is so much more than just throwing the ball far or throwing the ball hard. You mentioned the placement. Uh, his placement, I think you're right. I think it's probably the best in this class. It it would really be elite in pretty much any class. Um, and I think that that is, that's probably his biggest selling point. Do you want a guy who's just a natural uh, passer of the football, uh, really to all areas of the field. Um, I think that he does, he, he showcases a little bit of uh, athleticism, but it really doesn't translate into mobility, which is really, it, it's really odd. Uh, there are times where it works out for him. Against the Georgia game, it was like 
rewriting his whole career pretty much Dude. because he that made everything so much more complicated. Like going into it, the it Georgia did. game, I had like I was like, okay, I know exactly who this guy is. Like he's the processor. He can't really move. And then I don't like I still don't know what to take from that. Like because he he doesn't show that in any other in any other game. And you could argue like okay, it was out of necessity, and he could have done it the rest of the year, but he didn't. But now like we have one game of him being mobile to go off of. And I still don't know that we saw him create it from a throwing perspective on the run in that Georgia game as much as I would have liked to see as much as it was like he, he, he found ways to get out of the pocket against superior athletes, which I think that's still like, that's a really good sign for him that he was able to do that. But I still, I would have liked to see a lot more in terms of playmaking from him, because like you said, like, I don't think he's a bad athlete, but you don't see it's, it very much, and it's just not his game. Yeah, and really, it, it's so smooth. Like I even the way he with his aggressiveness with deep balls, <laughs> and I'm not comparing the two players, but this specific part reminded me a lot of Joe Burrow at LSU, where he was so confident in his receivers that he was willing to take risks down the field and tried very difficult throws and he hit them a lot of the times and they resulted in big plays because he trusted his receivers so much. And I think that is something that really translates to the NFL, especially if he goes to an organization with talented wide receivers, because the windows are just that much tighter in the NFL. Those are the throws that you're going to have to be making on a consistent basis. But like you mentioned, you know, the, the arm strength isn't great. The mobility isn't isn't great and you just didn't get to see it very much where I almost think this would like I would have felt a lot better about how I feel about Stroud if I hadn't seen the Georgia game like if I had just never seen that I would have just been like okay like that's not a part you of know who game. he is like that yeah. he just doesn't do that and now that to me is the biggest question mark with him and honestly probably why I feel the most uncertain about him of anybody in this group. Now, I still think the range of outcomes for him is much smaller because he's much further along yeah. the de- developmental path than a Richardson or a Levis, but I that's probably the aspect of any of these guys' games that I am, am the most kind of uncertain about as they enter their NFL careers. Yeah, um I I think you you mentioned the the small range of outcomes. I don't know when you want to do um comps for all these players, but yeah, I think that my comp my comps really speak to that. Um, I think that he he's a he operates really well in structure, and he's another one of those rhythm guys. Like you get him in a rhythm, uh, you get him a set set plays. Like if the ball is supposed to come out, it usually is going to come out. Um, he's not going to hold it too long. Um, my my comp it might be really weird because. Athletically, I don't think they're similar, but the, their play style, I think, is similar. Um, I, I have Matt Ryan for him in that sense because Matt Ryan is not a guy who's going to – he's not going to create. He plays within structure and for his career played really well within structure. But like – okay, we'll, we'll bring up one of the weaknesses overall in his career. C.J. Stroud did not do that well under pressure. Uh, he, he usually struggled. Uh, under pressure, with the exception of the Georgia game, where he was able to get out of the pocket, um, and you know that was definitely Matt Ryan uh, for his whole career in Atlanta, but also this last year with the Colts. Yeah, I want to I want to stop on that mobility point because I really do think that that's like probably the most important thing to talk about 
with Stroud. And they, one of the specific things about that that I noticed was I, I almost never saw him escape out of the front of the pocket. Like it, it seems like he always just kind of faded left or faded right, and was still looking to throw, which is which is fine for a guy like that. But the, some of these other guys, like especially like Richardson's probably the best at this. Like when the gap opens up in the middle, it's just like he just shoots out of a cannon immediately. Like he's just gone. And obviously Stroud doesn't have that level of athleticism, but there's times where I like I remember sending a screenshot to a couple of my friends on Twitter where there, there's just like this ten foot gap in the middle of the pocket. <laughs> And Stroud's just like looking twenty yards downfield to a covered receiver. Still it's like okay, like it's the pocket. You, I understand, like you're you're going through your reads, but like just look in front of you, like improvise a little bit because in the NFL, that's not always going to like you can't just stay in rhythm, you can't just stay in process every single down yeah. because guys aren't always going to be open. Like you're going to have to make plays by yourself, and I I do think you see that sometimes too with him while while we're staying on the negative side, like. I do think you see sometimes him like try to be a little too perfect. He he might wait a little too long. Like he he just believes in his guys so much to get, that they're going to get open that there's times where it feels like okay, like just move on. Like the guy's covered. It's going to be a really difficult throw, but he has the confidence to make that throw and that is to me where I get to my the comp I have for him. And it, it's definitely more a late career version of this guy than early career. And I think this is probably the most common comp. Hopefully some others of these will be a little more creative, but for him, I think Dak is the guy I see in that, especially because Dak to me, and, and this is a, one of the things I'm really curious to see about Stroud. Dak is a pretty high interception guy. And I think Stroud might end up being like that in the NFL. If he continues to attempt these extremely difficult throws but in the same way as Dak, I think that the being able to make those throws and complete throws is what's going to make him a very good NFL quarterback if he does end up having a good career. So I don't think you can take that part out of his game. And in the same way as Dak, I think that he might end up being a higher interception guy, even if that means he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I think that is a good point uh, because when you, when you try those – and. Not necessarily every high interception guy is like automatically like too many interceptions. Some interceptions are not necessarily bad. Yeah, there's a I difference. What I'm trying sure. to say, and to your point, uh, when you're when you're making when you're attempting difficult throws to talented players and giving them chance chances to make plays, sometimes it just doesn't work out for you. Um, and I think you're right. I think that probably will be Shroud. Uh, I think especially if he goes somewhere where the talent is not quite as good as uh, as he had. I know there's been some debate this offseason about who is wide receiver you. Alabama had the four first-round picks, but I would still say it's Ohio State, and I, I don't think it's particularly close. Uh, he, he played with some, uh, some really good receivers uh, throughout his time at Ohio State. But, I mean, it's realistic that he could go somewhere that – the receivers are not even as good as he had in college. So yeah, I mean, his interception numbers could go up. When you think back, like the guys just he's played with. So Olave and Garrett Wilson, who both I had like legitimate offensive rookie of the year candidacies last season. You've got Jackson Smith and Jigba coming out in this year's draft who didn't play much last season, but it's probably still going to be a first round pick because of how good he's looked throughout the pre-draft mm-hmm. process. He's currently the odds on favorite to be the first wide receiver selected in this year's current draft. 
and then you still have guys like Emeka Ibuka, and then probably the best player out of all of them in Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison who, Jr. By the way, like so good. I mean, you're watching this trial. He was so like, good. It's it's ridiculous. Like I, I was, honestly, the reason that they lost to Georgia is because he got knocked yeah, out of the like, game. If he plays, I think they beat him. Which I know, do too. I mean, he. I mean, he's ridiculous, man. Like the explosiveness. He's so good contested catch wise, which like for a guy that athletic is just a cheat code. But yeah, I mean the guys he's played with are super talented. That that's probably going to be a drop off. I mean, if you look at the teams that are taking that are picking now at the top of this draft, you've got Carolina, you've got Houston, you've got Indy, and then maybe a team like the the Raiders, maybe are kind of the teams that are probably the most likely to end up taking a quarterback up there. Maybe Indy has the best weapons out of all those, and you're. I mean, it's just like Michael Pittman, basically. So I yeah. feel like wherever he goes, unless there's some movement or he falls a lot in this draft, like he's probably going to have to make an adjustment there early on in his career. I also feel like, and we'll get back to the positives in a minute, because I feel like we're kind of bashing on him, even though he's like a really good prospect. The, yeah. I do think like when his pre-snap is wrong, like when he doesn't read the pre-snap correctly, I think sometimes it's hard for him to get back to to making a good play because he is so much of like a in rhythm kind of guy mm-hmm. and there is still a few times where you know he ha- he just forces something and especially like off schedule the accuracy does fall off a little bit the pressure can get to him and it feels like there is a large difference for him in terms of in rhythm arm strength versus out of rhythm arm strength. Like it's really hard for him when he doesn't have a chance to set his feet in fire to get a lot on the ball. But because, I mean, he's a big guy. He's, you know, 6'3", 214. Like when he's in the pocket, he can make throws confidently and he certainly has enough arm strength to get that done. So, I mean, I see him as a guy that like, I would have no problem with a team taking him first overall. I, I, I was, I, I was, prepared to be lower on him than I am now. I, I really like him as a prospect and I don't like, I don't know that he'll ever be a top five quarterback, but going into this, I wasn't sure if I ever thought he would even be top half of the league. And I think he has a really good chance to be that based on how good he is of a thrower and the, just how elite he is within the pocket. Yeah. And you mentioned the like range of outcomes for him. I think just because of how well he is or how how well he diagnoses uh, his pre-snap reads, uh, how well he plays within structure and gets the ball out where it needs to go on time. So much of the time, even though he can't necessarily create, um, I think that he is still going to be an efficient starter. Um, and even that might that might be a lower end. Uh, my my worst case is like an Alex Smith type, where like. There's some athleticism, some mobility. Maybe it's not maximized, but like it's still an efficient starter that you can win with, with the right coach, with the right uh, pieces around it. Yeah, I feel like you could pick like a hundred worst cases for CJ Stroud because it's literally just like any generic white quarterback with like bad arm strength that's a good yeah. processor, which is funny because Str- like Stroud's not, but. There, yeah, like, it's like Kirk Cousins. Yeah, like, like, I had there you Jared go. Goff as the guy, which is there like, you go. like the definition of those kind of guys. Like they're all the same. So I don't even know if there's like a specific comp, but yeah, like at his worst, I feel like that's probably what he is. Which you know, if you're if you have a team with a talented <laughs> roster, like we've seen those kind of guys make the Super Bowl. Like we saw Jimmy Garoppolo get there. We saw Jared Goff get there. Now, like if I'm the Lions, am I trying to cheat keep Jared Goff around long term? Like 
would I be trying to pick a quarterback at six? Yeah, like, yeah, probably. But still, like, that's a good that's a good guy to have on your team, and he's going to be way better than a guy you know that's that's potentially a backup. So I, I like Stroud, and especially like if you buy the Georgia game as something that can be replicated, then like I think there's a really strong case for him to be the top prospect in this class. Definitely, yeah. I, I think that if you're projecting that as like this is who he actually is with development, like he's going to be this all the time, he should be the number one quarterback. Yeah. Uh, it's just whether or not he, you can take that over the rest of his career. Um, I do want to mention team fit for Stroud because this is the one I feel strongly about, and it has no chance of happening, so it's kind of sad. I, I Maybe this goes back to Matt Ryan as his comp, but I would love to see him Shanahan's offense. Yeah. I, I think the 49ers would be such... And this is where... I think the 49ers might have missed the mark a little bit with Trey Lance. Uh, they they saw the mobility. They saw the the athleticism with Lance. They were like, oh, this guy can like elevate our offense. But Shanahan's offense works best with an efficient processor. And the better you can do that, the better that offense is going to be, which is why it was really at its best with Matt Ryan when he was with the Falcons. Um, and I think that Stroud is that kind of high-level processor that could be he, he would be the best quarterback on the 49ers but again that won't happen at all yeah. so it's kind of sad and the problem too is like once you take a guy like lance like you have to be willing to go through the growing pains and now like i don't even yeah. know if they're gonna do that like it might be brock purdy and so that that's yeah. where you find yourself in a situation now where you're stuck back where you previously were so yeah I, like we're get, i'm getting off on a niners tangent there but i do think like i think they still have to play lance because i think they have to figure out if he's the answer or not long term but yeah, Stroud, hundred percent. Like he's a guy that is would be perfect. Like I, I mean, I could, the worst case is Jared Goff. So I don't know if the Lions would want Jared Goff, but better. But, like, <laughs> I think he fits yeah. there. Like with their offensive design, like their offensive coordinator Ben Johnson mm-hmm. does a great job. He was really good at Ohio State with like in the deep drops. Like when he got deep, like had the you know eight step drop and had time to like sit back and fire. I thought he was really good there. So any type of offense that like allows him to drop deep back in the pocket, like I'd be a fan of that. But yeah, overall, like I think I'm, I'm probably less concerned about fit with him than some of these other guys, just because like yeah, Richardson and Levis, I think, and we'll get into them. Like they just need like good coaches. Like they they need guys that can teach them how to play the quarterback position <coughs> at a higher level. With Stroud, like I don't think he needs anything said to him. Like he he understands exactly what he's supposed to be doing. It's just is he going to be able to take that next step once he gets to the NFL? Like that that seems to be the big question with him. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think all of that's spot on. Especially, I, I think you make a good point. Fit is not as much of an issue with it. I think Anthony Richardson might be the one that you worry about fit the most with, um, and then probably Levis right behind him. Yeah, but I think even with Bryce Young, you worry a little bit about fit. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think Bryce. Which let, let's just go into Bryce. I think with Bryce, okay. <laughs> um, off that point, there are certain things that he is not going to be able to do. And so the offense has to be tailored around him in a way where Stroud, like I think it's going to be more of a normal, quote-unquote, NFL offense that you're running there. But let's talk about the good first. Like, he is a savant off script. Like, the, the, decision, <laughs> the decision-making when he is on the move is, it's, I mean, he's not even close to this in terms of a player, but, like, it's that's the thing that is, like, Mahomes-esque to me is, like, when he's yeah. on the move, the stuff he sees – the, the things he sees open up and then drops down, just gives you a little sidearm throw, the, the little pitch, he'll pitch the ball out, whatever. 
once he gets on the move and has open field in front of him, it seems like he makes the, the right decision almost every time. And, and there's still times where he doesn't. There are mistakes. But for the most part, like when he's out in the open field, it felt like that was Alabama's best chance at offense this past year. Like when 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 he was on the move, it was like, oh, okay, like now something might actually happen. Whereas before, like we're just watching receivers get blanketed by defensive backs the entire time. So with him, I think that's that's what you love about his game. And then we'll talk about some of the limitations, obviously. But to me, like that's the trait that's going to allow him to succeed at the next level. Absolutely. Uh, his escapability inside and outside of the pocket is I don't I don't know. I don't I don't want to say like maybe the best that I've seen from any prospect, but is definitely up there. Uh, there were plenty of times when you think that he's just gonna be swarmed under. Alabama the offensive line in the last two years has really not been that good, especially for what Al- other Alabama quarterbacks had. Um but it, it didn't really seem to matter with Bryce Young. And you mentioned, I think that this ended up being a detriment. I'm sorry, this is not an Alabama podcast, so I'll try to keep my comments more on topic with the quarterbacks. But uh, the the offense as a whole was just, something was in a funk, was like out of sync. Uh, it's almost like everybody was kind of relying on Bryce Young to make a play. And most of the time when we stayed in games, or won games, it was because Bryce Young made a bunch of plays. Uh, he scrambled around, he ducked one guy, he'd run to the other side, and then find a wide-open receiver, just because he had to buy enough time. The receivers were not good and couldn't get open, uh, so he had to buy enough time for them to get open. And his accuracy while he's moving is really good. Um, there, were, there, there are times where his placement's not as good, um, but I think that his overall accuracy, especially while he's moving, while he's creating, while he's out of, uh, out of, uh, structure is still that that's his best skill. And if you draft him, that's what you're drafting him. for. Yeah. I think a couple of plays that come to mind when you're talking about some of his traits, like the, the escapability, like the play at the end of the Texas game where he just, the, the guy's coming off the edge and it's like, he just jumps like five feet to the left immediately realizes the defenders there dodges him like scrambles for the first down and then the, the throw in the the bowl game against kansas state to the back right corner of the end zone right over the defender into the right into the corner those two to me are like what you see from him that's like okay like this is where he's special it's it's the mobility in the pocket and getting out and escaping I thought he improved a lot as a runner in his time at Alabama too. Like early on, especially, um, it, it felt like he was very reluctant to run and would. Kind yeah, of he do, really did not want to do it early on. He would do anything he could to like find somebody to throw the ball to or just kind of get out of bounds. He got a lot better at picking his spots. I thought with that later on in the season, and he's going to have to do that because he is five foot ten and came in at two hundred four pounds at the combine. And I think that's probably a high estimate on what he was playing in. I mean it's probably <laughs> I'm guessing he's closer to 190, 195 at his playing weight. So he is gonna have to be aware of that. But yeah, I mean I think he has like the perfect balance of when to leave the pocket. Like he hangs in just long enough, but then as soon as you know kind of the opposite of what I was talking about with Stroud, like he really understands that part of the game. He's super balanced. Like his feet in the pocket are just 
he's always on balance. Like he never gets caught in a situation where he can't make a throw or he can't escape because of his footwork. And to me, like he just plays like you would play on Madden. Like the, it, <laughs> it really feels like there's a camera that he's watching the field from like above where he can see all the defenders and where he needs to go to. Because even when he's back there, like he'll just extend plays for like 10 seconds, just weaving in and out of defensive linemen. And, it feels like when most guys try that, they just get lit up. But for some reason, he just has that awareness of where everybody is on the field and then where his receivers are going to end up. And I, I, I guess that's just like a thing that he has that other guys don't, but it he's just so comfortable back there moving around in space. Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned a couple of things there. Uh, his balance, there were plenty of times where he should have been sacked. He should have taken a big hit. Uh, you mentioned him like sidestep. Uh, but they'll still get their hands on him. And for his size, you'd think that he would go down really easily, but he he shrugged off a lot of sacks this year and last year and would still keep his eyes downfield and somehow find a way to get it to an open receiver or find a crease and, and take off running. Um, uh, what was You mentioned something else I wanted to talk about there, but I, I don't remember what it was. Oh, it meant it was just seeing the field. The way he sees the field is incredible. I mean, a lot of times, one of the reasons he plays so well uh, out of structure is he can sense he can sense the rush a lot better than other college quarterbacks. Uh, and even watching the other first round guys, there were times where they're just oblivious to uh, free rushers, to guys that you know they're pushing the offensive linemen back into their face, and it's like they don't realize. Uh, but Bryce somehow is aware of that all the time and still is looking to pass first. And it's just not a combination you see very much. Yeah, I agree. I think you watching him is really fun because it's just different from a lot of other guys. And, and I think the last positive thing I'll add with him before we get into some of the concerns is he, I think just like some of the guys we talked about before, he's another one of those guys that can snap and throw. He's got the baseball arm where he can whip it from different mm-hmm. angles he understands when to drive the ball and when to put more touch on it, when to lob it in there. And he, he throws with the anticipation and touch really well, especially as we've talked about outside of structure. But now let's get to some of the concern because this guy is certainly not a perfect prospect uh, in any regard. I think we have to talk about the size first. Cause that's just like the, like I, I do think like if he's six, three, 220 pounds, like he's the number one pick. So definitely. And it's not even, and he's still, I mean, I think he's still favored to be the number one pick. So it's not out of the question, but I don't, I think this would be more of like a Trevor Lawrence year than it, than it currently is because of the size. And the, the question I always look at with that is like, okay, he's short. It's, that's obviously going to hurt him to a certain amount, but how much is it going to hurt him? And I think because of the way that he is able to extend plays and make plays out of the pocket. I do, I do think that the way he plays will allow him to still have success at the NFL level, but there are going to be times where he he is not good in the pocket. And honestly, I'm not sure if he will ever be an elite pocket quarterback in the NFL just because of the size. And it, he also does not have elite arm strength to go along with it. He's got a yeah. good arm, but it's it's not great. He he cannot laser it deep down the field consistently. Like it, it does affect his deep ball accuracy to some extent. And 
even in the pocket, like there's even times where you see he has to jump to get a throw off, which obviously is going to hurt your accuracy compared to a guy that can just step up in the pocket and make that throw. So there, there are also times where I, I, you see like, oh, there's a guy open in the middle of the field here coming across, but he just can't see it. There's a lineman in front of him. He just can't see the guy open. So the size is a real concern. I do think it limits his ability to play, especially in the pocket. I don't think that that is going to prevent him from becoming a good NFL quarterback, but I, I think the concerns are real there. And like, this is not the same as, oh, he just ran a slow 40 yard dash. Like this, this is going to affect the way that he plays on a down to down basis in the NFL. Yeah, the size is definitely the the biggest thing. If he had come in, uh, there were all kinds of crazy uh, theories flying around. You know, the picture with uh, him and Kyler Murray, and everybody's like, "He's five eight. He's, what, what did you think he was? He's doing? shorter than Kyler Murray. And what? what did you think he was going to come in at? Oh man, because uh, I, I my my guess was like five ten two hundred, but I, I I thought he I thought he might be five nine, but I thought five ten range. Uh, I didn't think he would be. I really did not think he would be five ten and a half even, uh, and I thought like five eleven six foot was probably pushing it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I thought he legitimately might be five nine. I'm like, man, I I could like look eye to eye with uh, Bryce Young <laughs> yeah. personally. But uh, that's the other thing that's insane about this. It's like for normal people, like I go to the gym all the time. I'm like five eleven, like one ninety one eighty five, and for normal people, that's like a pretty decent weight. And then for Bryce Young, it's like. Why is this guy so skinny? Like, what is wrong? He's so with, small. Like, what is wrong with him? And it's like that's just like he's a normal sized person. It's just okay. You're playing against these freak athletes, so yeah, it's, it's weird. Like talking about these guys, it's like it's crazy. Like the the concept of like how big these guys are most of the time, but it, it definitely affects him. Yeah, and I think the weight, the weight was one of the bigger issues because we've seen quarterbacks who are five ten, five eleven be successful, but. The, if he had not come in over 200, I think it would have. If he had come in at 170 pounds, you know, there there were some people saying he might be really light, which I didn't really think that. I thought he might be 185, 190 at the lightest. But if he had not come in uh, as much as he did, there might have been teams that crossed him off their board entirely, just because we don't have a lot of success or a, a, a strong history of success at the quarterback position of people his size. You know, it just doesn't happen very often. But I think that he did enough to show that, like, he's at the bottom end, but you know, we, we've seen people his size play quarterback before. And I think that some of the concerns with the size, you know, you obviously worry about injury, you worry about taking big hits over time. He took a lot of big hits at Alabama. And I, I think sometimes in a negative way, he, he wasn't afraid of contact, but there were some times where he probably should have been, <laughs> but he never he never was slow to get up. He never, like... He never really struggled with injuries outside of he had a little bit of a problem this year with his shoulder, but that was really that was because he scrambled, got out of the pocket, and fell on it wrong. He fell on the ball. So even with his size, uh, he didn't really have any uh, any injuries from from hits that he took. Um, but I think that worrying about the middle of the field is a is a real worry. Uh, like Russell Wilson is five eleven and doesn't target the middle of the field. Great quarterback, but he just doesn't do it. And, and he's my comp. Like I, they don't play yeah. the same way. Like and this is why. Like with Bryce, I think Bryce and Richardson are like the two hardest guys because they're both kind of just foreign to anything yeah. you've seen in the NFL to come up with a comp for. So like I don't really like my comps for either of them, but 
Yeah. With I do think Wilson, because you're the limit they're the same kind of player where it's they can create explosive plays because of the style in which they play, but there are going to be layups over the middle of the field that they just don't hit. And Russell I mean, Russell Wilson, some people thought was the second best quarterback in the NFL for a few years. So it's not like mm-hmm. it, it's not to say that Bryce Young can't be great, but I, I do think there's always gonna and you see the same thing with Kyler Murray, there's always gonna be a limitation to his game. And, you know, my worst case comp, which again, like there's so many, so few small quarterbacks. I like hate this, but my worst case comp was PJ Walker, where it's just like yeah. a little guy, like kind of runs around, can make some throws, like, but is not really operating within the offense at all. And I don't think that's what Bryce is. Like, I think Bryce is way more intel, like intelligent as in like football intelligent and has the ability to operate within the pocket to some extent, but the size is definitely going to be a limitation. And, I do feel like he is not a great in rhythm processor. Like there are times where I think you you don't see him, you know, be perfectly in rhythm. And the other thing with him, which this is just part, this is the same exact thing with Russell Wilson. He takes a lot of sacks. And I, I, I think that's going to happen in the NFL with Bryce because I think it will. He's, the defenders are going to be much more athletic and, and he, I don't think he's going to be able to make them look as stupid as he does. Some of the guys in college, and he's very carefree in the pocket. And his play style in general just generates negative plays. Like, when you're running around that much, you're trying to make as many people miss as he is, there's going to be times where they get you. There's going to be times when it's second and 19 because you took a nine-yard sack on first down, and you're going to have to come back from that. Now, with him, on the flip side, you're going to have the explosive plays because of those decisions as well. But I do think that you have to – you can't forget about the negative plays that his play style, is going to gener- play style generates. And that that's what you saw with Russell Wilson in Seattle for a long time is – you know, they had a bad offensive line, but his play style also pushed them up towards the top of the league in sacks every single year. Yeah, um, I think I think you bring up a lot of good points about, like, the negative plays are going to be there. He's going to take a lot of sacks. Uh, Alabama's offensive line was not good, but there were times where some of the sacks were on Bryce. He ran around too long and ran himself into a sack where he might have escaped a couple of guys, but you can't get away forever. Um, I still have as my best case comp. Uh, I don't love this one, but maybe part of it's the number. But I put Tony Romo. Okay, Tony I Romo, like the, the the magic in the pocket, the the escapability to then fire a, a ball downfield to a guy who finally got open. Um, th- there there was just something there. Obviously, different sizes. Tony Romo is a more prototypical size. Uh, worst case, I could see like a Seneca Wallace. Where he's, it's kind of the PJ Walker. Yeah. He's just the little guy. He has some mobility, but he's never going to be a world beater. And I think that's where Bryce Young has a little more variance than a CJ Stroud, just because we we haven't seen somebody his size be ultra successful. Yeah, that's and that's why I think comps so hard is because like I didn't want to pick somebody that I hadn't watched, so I'm like I can't put Doug Flutie. Like I, just, I mean like. <laughs> I've heard that one before. Like played before I was born. Like I can't. Yeah. I can't do but yeah, like I do think that that's a real concern, and it's it makes the ceiling discussion I think more interesting with him because, like with Stroud, I think there's parts of the game that you see with him that it's like okay, he's never going to be able to do that, and I think we people tend to think of Bryce as like more of the upside guy, and that that's probably still true, but I do think with Bryce, there's also limitations to his game that are going to be there, they're just different than what Stroud is going to face. And I think that's going to make a really interesting conversation because 
I think all of these guys, as we get to the two like wild cards here later with Levis and Richardson, they all kind of have different strengths and weaknesses that are going to make this conversation leading up to the draft really interesting. So let's take a break here after discussing Young and Stroud. We'll come back and hit Levis and Richardson uh, and then talk a little bit about fit with these guys after the break. All right, we're back from that quick break. Now it's time to break down the two wild cards in this draft, the high upside guys, as most people have termed them. We're going to start with Will Levis, uh, and then we'll get into Anthony Richardson last. So with Levis, he is two years older than the other three top guys in this class, which does need to be mentioned, especially for a guy that's more of a project. I think you know if this was Stroud coming out two years older, it's probably a little different, but with Levis, because you're, you know, this he's known as more of a project, that definitely matters. But again, let's start with the good things with him. Dude, the the deep ball with him is it's so good. Like I I don't know how like this was not made a bigger deal during the regular season. Like he he is way more accurate than I expected down the field, and that doesn't necessarily translate to the short game, but. I finally, like, Mel Kuyper Jr. has him ranked first out of all the quarterbacks. Like, we're not going to get to the rankings just fully yet. Like, I don't agree with that. But I I see what people like in him after watching this. Because I think most of the season, you know, college football fans, it was kind of just like, why does the why does draft Twitter love Will Levis? Like, what is what is wrong with him? Like, have you watched Kentucky play? And I still think, like, there are, there are real things that he has to improve at. But – Dude, he had like he has a cannon and the, like the D ball. Like I don't know if I ever I've ever watched like a prospect that like I was as impressed with the D ball as I am with him. Yeah, and you mentioned the cannon, and obviously he said he can throw a football eighty yards. I don't doubt it. Uh, he is a really strong dude. Uh, he does have a really great deep ball, um, but also the zip on balls that are to the sideline or over the middle. I mean he. I forget who it was against, but he had a ball over the middle this year that it was probably 15 to 20 yards down seam, and it was a straight line. I mean, it, it, it was really impressive. And I remember at the time, I had not really watched him or Kentucky much this year, but I'd heard people talk about him in the first round. I saw that ball, and I was like, oh, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's the name of the game for Will Levis. He'll make a throw that you're like, okay, that's it right there. Uh, you know, he, he, he just has, he has the arm to make those throws. And I think that's why like people were so confused about like, like, why is he not falling? Like why? Because going into the year, you know, he was, he was one of the guys at the top of mock drafts. And then I think as he did not perform as Kentucky did not perform as his numbers looked horrendous throughout the year, people were like, why is he still there? Like, why is nothing changing? But I think that is why, is what you're saying is like those flashes, that arm strength that he has and the velocity he could throw with down the field, that was still showing up. And like it's it's still there. You can still see it, even in the games where stuff is really ugly for Kentucky. And a lot of times, like that's the only thing that they had going for them. Like I know it like in the Florida game, which we'll get to that game with Anthony Richardson in a little bit, but <laughs> in the Florida game, like Kentucky's offense did not do very much. Like he hits the he hits the fifty yard deep ball that really breaks the game open for Kentucky. They get a pick six. They go on and win the game. Like even the games they won, I think it's because of the plays that he made. And he's one of those guys. that's like it's an effortless throw coming out of his hand. Like it's just easy for him. And 
since we're talking about the arm, I think we're all, we can also go ahead and start to talk about the fact that the how hard he throws the deep ball is exactly the same speed that he's throwing the seven yard <laughs> slant across the middle of the field. And like I don't know how many fingers the Kentucky receivers have break throughout <laughs> all the of year, them. but like, like I I was used to that from watching Richardson some, but like I think Levis is even more like it's even more to the extreme and like it's I mean. It, like you said, it's on an absolute line, and like he's got to find a change up if he wants to be more effective in the short range. Because right now, like balls are going to get tipped, they're going to fly up in the air. Because like even NFL receivers are not going to be able to handle like the amount of velocity he's throwing within the short range. Yeah, and balls to the flat, just they're it's like they're getting there so fast. The receiver, the running back, the H back, whoever it is, they're not expecting it. And there were a lot of drops where okay, it was definitely on the the position player, but you wonder if it's because it's coming in so hard, so fast, uh, getting there before they expect it. Um, And, okay, I'll give him a positive and a negative on this. He's actually, he doesn't have the best placement. He is accurate. Like, he's putting the ball on his receivers despite his mechanics. Like, his mechanics are all over the place. There were some games that I watched that you know it, it looks pretty good. There are some games where he, he he's just out of sync. Like his his lower body is ahead of his upper body, and then his upper body his lower body's not moving, and it's all arm. His mechanics are not consistent, and the the other side is that despite that, he's still accurate with the football pretty much all of the time. Um, but like I mentioned. The placement is really not always great. Um, there are a lot of times where throws out in the flat are behind the receiver. He's not leading them so they can start running with the ball. Uh, he'll throw a slant over the middle. It'll be behind the receiver. Uh, there were times where he, he does have the ball sail on him, which I don't think is unique to him. We'll get to that, I think, with Richardson as well. But uh, Levis just has like some of these things, some of these kinks where – it's because of how physically gifted he he is that he doesn't necessarily have to have good mechanics. So it's not ironed out. It's not really smooth uh, mechanically. I think also another thing that might really impact that, and I don't know if this is fixable. <laughs> he is so strong. Like you look at his arms. Yeah. His arms are huge. Uh, he uh, they've said he spends a lot of time in the weight room and you know it's a good thing character wise he's in there with the team he works really hard but he is so tight he's just so muscular that I don't know if he's ever going to be limber and uh, ath- I don't want to say athletic he actually is pretty athletic for being 6'4 29 I think it was Yeah. but uh, he he's very tight He's not flexible, and I don't think that that's a good thing mechanically because I don't know how much you're going to be able to adjust those things. I, I think that also goes in – because watching him, he just always looks like frantic. Like it's always – he's always like <laughs> – it, it looks like everything is just happening so fast. And, and the same thing happens when he throws the ball, right? Like it goes 100 miles an hour. But yeah, like when he's – and I think part of it was because Kentucky's offensive line was like an abomination to the sport of football – this year to the point where like when he's getting the ball, like he's immediately like, okay, if I don't like get this out in the next second and a half, like I'm not going to get the throw off. But at the same time, like, yeah, it's, it's really frantic. And there's also times where he doesn't see the rush very well. He doesn't adjust very well to the rush. So 
I Kentucky's offensive line's terrible. He definitely gets he definitely has issues because of that, but he also I don't know adjusts as well as he could. But like you said, with the throwing, I I do agree that he, he is much more accurate with the fastball than I anticipated him being. And that doesn't mean that like every single throw he makes is good or when he tries to throw with touch that it works every time. But you can see like, okay, when he is dialed in, like it's there. Like when his throws are on, like when he's in rhythm, when he's, like you said, when his mechanics are right, he can be an accurate thrower, which is important because with some of these guys, you just wonder like, are they ever going to figure it out? And I do think you see enough with him to at least suggest that that's possible. But you also mentioned the athleticism. And I think this is a really interesting case with him. And it might be a little bit of like Anthony Richardson in my brain now, like making me think everyone else is just a terrible athlete. <laughs> but like, I hear so much about this athleticism. And then I watch him and I'm like, when does him running like actually help Kentucky a lot? Like when does his athleticism actually come into play other than being able to like fight out of a sack and get a throw off? Like I just, I don't know if his athleticism is actually as impactful as a lot of people make it out to be because it's really just strength and I, and he's a powerful runner, but he's not a fast runner and he's not an agile runner. So I don't know. Like I, I just think I'm a little more skeptical on how this athleticism is going to translate to the NFL. He can definitely like, he has like the Josh Allen, like I'm going to run through seven players right now and just like try to get the first down, even if I'm eight yards away. But I don't know how effective he's going to be on the move in the NFL. And so him being like, I don't really view him as much as this like great athlete, as much as I do this guy with the golden arm. I think that you bring up a really good point about uh, functional athleticism versus just like he, he might test well, but I think you're right that him running didn't help Kentucky as much as maybe they thought it did. Uh, there were a lot of times where Designed runs would go nowhere. They'd get stuffed. Part of that might be on the offensive line. There were a lot of times where because of the offensive line, like you mentioned, he gets frantic. He pulls the ball down. He's trying to shoot through a gap. The gap closes before he can get there. And then it's either a sack or it's a one or two yard gain. He's not actually getting what he could have out of the play. Um, and I think I think that that is a really valid point that like he really is not that great of a runner. There are a lot of people that want to comp him to Josh Allen. I do not see Josh Allen. Uh, besides, like the "I'm going to run over you" mentality, just because Levis is not—he's not juking guys out. Like, watch his film. His runs are he barrels over the guys because he's bigger than them. Yeah, I think but, he thinks uh, he's Josh Allen, but I don't know <laughs> if he actually like is Josh Allen. I yeah. I do not think Josh Allen. I, another thing, Josh Allen. If you go back and look at statistically, he improved. Every single step of the way, you can go all the way back to high school, and every year, even his accuracy, his his completion percentage went up every single year from high school until his breakout in the NFL. Uh, and obviously, he made jumps every level, and it would like go down when he makes the jump. But then each level, he saw improvement. And Josh Allen was unique in that way. Most guys, they kind of are what they are when they're coming out. You know, they might be able to work on and accentuate their strengths, but. If, you, if a guy's not an accurate passer, if he's not a, a guy who is uh, placing the ball well, they're not going to figure that out in the NFL. Um, Josh Allen is the exception there. So I don't think that we need to look at Will Levis and say physically, he's the size, he's the, the arm strength, he runs over guys, so he's Josh Allen. 
I, it's just unlikely that yeah. that's going to happen. I actually, for my comp, this might be low because I think that his his upside is probably higher than this. But I think just if you look at physically who they are, I think of more like a Jay Cutler kind of guy, like the the strong arm, really big size, can run a little bit, but obviously is not like not really built for that. Okay, so. Mine's probably a little more optimistic on the best case. So, <laughs> yeah, we have a balance here. So I put Matthew Stafford just because yeah. I think Stafford is the same. Like he relies on his arm strength and the quote unquote athleticism in a similar way as Will Levis, where it's allowing him to make difficult throws mostly from the pocket. And, and that's what I see it in Levis. I also think they have a similar recklessness to their game. Like Stafford's <laughs> notorious for just like playing with injury and, you know, making extremely difficult throws sometimes which lead to interceptions. Levis is the exact same way. Stafford certainly like is a way better decision maker and processor than Levis is at this point. But I see similar things when I watch them. And then worst case, I, I they're not entirely the same, but I put Baker Mayfield just because I feel like when Levis is bad and when Baker's bad, it's just throwing as hard as they possibly can and nothing good coming out of it, where Mayfield, like, when he looks bad, it's like throws are sailing, he looks super rushed, he's, he's inaccurate. Levis, I think, is the same way, where, like, when he gets out of rhythm and he's not seeing the field well, stuff just feels super frantic, and he feels very rushed. I see the same thing with Mayfield, and I, with Levis, I'm just not sure how well he really sees the field outside of simple reads, and he's been in this kind of Shanahan-McVay system in his time at Kentucky, which I think has helped him because it's allowed him to make those kind of throws that he's going to be making in the NFL. But I also think, man, he throws so many screen passes, and I'm like, okay, I they called nothing. so many of them last like, year. I'm, I'm learning nothing oh. from watching these other than like his short accuracy. Like I wanted to see him have more chances to process like intermediate and deep stuff down the field because it felt like with them it was just we're taking a shot or we're throwing it short. And yeah. it was like he did not have to read very much in the middle of the field. And I don't think that he's very good at it, but we didn't get to see it a ton. So I, I think that is going to be an adjustment as he as he goes into the league because that's going to be something you're expected to do at the next level. And I think because of that, he really did not improve much. Like he played a lot. You mentioned the age. He's older than several of these guys. Anthony Richardson, he played a little bit last year, but like, this past season was his season as the starter. Um, so you can, uh, this is maybe getting into him too much. You can maybe project more like growth because he hasn't had as much time where Will Levis, you might look at him and say, Oh, he's experienced, but in his experience, did he improve much? And that's where I'm, I'm just not sure that he got better as a, a player. He kind of is who he was when he got to Kentucky. Um, yeah. My worst case comp is, <laughs> this might be too low, but Blake Bortles, and really it's okay. it's the YOLO ball. Blake Bortles yeah. would just, he he said himself he is not a natural thrower. I don't think that's Will Levis. I think Will Levis does have a really good arm, like you mentioned. But Blake Bortles was, he, he just YOLO balled with the Jaguars, and he never really got any better. He never improved. And I think that if Will Levis doesn't improve, that could be on the low end for him. Yeah, yeah. I think the way they play, I could definitely see that. Like, like you said, I think Levis has the arm that Bortles did not. But if you're not able to operate with it, it doesn't really matter 
at that point. And Le- Levis definitely is the guy, like, if you're saying, like, which guy is going to be out of the league in, like, five years, I think he's the guy I'd probably say first. Yeah. Because with Richardson, like you mentioned, like, the patience is going to be there because he is he's so new to quarterbacking at a high level. Whereas with Levis, like, I do think he deserves a little bit of slack for the fact that Kentucky lost basically every single good offensive playmaker they had from the year before. But you're not seeing the same level of growth that you might with some of the other guys. And that's definitely a concern. And, you know, a couple other things with him, like, I do think that it's not as worrisome, like you mentioned, because he's a big guy. But, like, the recklessness in running reminded me a lot of Matt Corral last year. Like, I know that was a big (laughs) problem with him where it's like – that turned people away from Corral. And I think he has that same thing. Now, granted, he's the exact opposite in terms of size. He's a lot bigger. But, like, I still, like, it would not surprise me if he gets hurt a decent amount in his career with with the way he plays. Well, and the one other thing that I think goes along with that is ball security. Not just – there there were some throws where it's just like, what are you doing? Like, you threw it right to the defender who was – he was just lurking that. But also – when he's running, he does not take care of the football, which for a guy who's as big as he is, he had a problem with fumbles. He lost them a couple of games because of that. Um, and that's another thing that doesn't tend to go away. And it shouldn't be an issue for it because his hands are, are big. You know, he's over, he's like 10 and 5 eighths inch hands, I think. But he just, he didn't take care of the football very well. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's going to have to grow in that a lot. And, I don't know. Like he's, I think most people think Richardson should sit, Stroud and Young should play. Levis is kind of the guy I'm the most curious about with that because I think he needs to get better. But yeah, I don't think you can old. Like he's really yeah. old. He has, to, like he has to play at some point. So I don't think you can afford to sit him because by the time you figure out what he is, he's already he'll be yeah. like twenty six, twenty seven. And and I do think he has. He has enough NFL traits where I think like you could build an offense around like deep shots and the Shanahan stuff, like the little screen game that he's used to. Like there are ways that you could ease him in if he does have to play immediately. But yeah, like there are going to be throws his rookie year if he plays where it's like the Jameis special where like the middle (laughs) linebacker is just standing right there and catches it and it's a pick six immediately. Like that that's going to happen, and that's if it does improve, that's going to take some time. I I don't know. I, I think with him, he's probably the guy out of these four that I am the most concerned about the the weaknesses not improving out of out of the guys where which I guess, you know, Bryce obviously is not gonna get taller, but out, out of the stuff <laughs> that is out of the stuff that's fixable, he's the one where I'm like, I, I could see progress just never really coming with him. Yeah, and that might be a good way to transition into Anthony Richardson, unless there was something else you wanted to no, hit yeah, go on. Ahead. But uh, I think that I think that's absolutely right. Like Levis might not improve, and some of the weaknesses that he has, where Richardson, he's he. I think some of the things he won't necessarily improve on, but just because he hasn't had a lot of time, he hasn't had as much of a chance to to really get snaps and improve. There's a real case for Richardson having the most upside because of that. Um, so Anthony Richardson, first thing that you mentioned was like the size, the athleticism. He is the most athletic 
quarterback for his size that we've ever seen coming into the league. Uh, I don't, I don't know if you know much about like the relative athletic yes, score RAS. Yeah, yeah. I, I figured that probably was big for you, but he he was a perfect ten because like guys his size do not run four four three. It just doesn't happen, especially not ones that have the arm that he does. Yeah, you know the other guy that ran like that at that size at the combine this year was Nolan Smith. Like yes, he's a defensive end. Like yeah, th- that doesn't have like quarterbacks don't do this and. You know, obviously, like I'm a Florida fan, so I'm I'm I like Richardson, but I'm also gonna like try to come at this from an unbiased perspective. Like, there, I I don't think it's an exaggeration to say he's the most most athletic quarterback ever. Now, does that mean he's going to be a great NFL quarterback? That that d- doesn't necessarily mean that because other guys on that list, you know, might not be elite quarterbacks in the NFL, but that's what he is, and. You see it on the field. The The thing that I think I was most impressed with going back and watching him, and obviously like he was the one I was most familiar with just from watching Florida games in detail throughout the year, but he is – you mentioned the stiffness with Levis. He is extremely fluid. That's exactly that's what I was thinking. 240. Like he is so agile. The pocket movement, like he's really smooth operating in the pocket. You see him – like when he's running, he can bounce off defenders and like get an angle up the field. He, you like, it, there's a hurdle from two years ago against Florida Atlantic where he just jumps over a guy and clears him, which makes sense because he set the record for the vertical at the combine. So obviously, <laughs> like that's a part of his game. Like that, I think that honestly is like the thing that excites me the most about him. Obviously, there's a lot of things about him that are exciting, but the thing that gives me hope about him, maybe more than anything, is that he. It, it, it translates to the throwing. Like, he does seem like a pretty natural thrower. And he is not just a big, slow, or not slow, but he's not just a big straight line guy. Like, he yeah. can move around. He's very agile. And it helps him in the pocket. And it, it also helps him when he's on the run. Yeah. Um, I think talking about his agility and his flexibility, too, uh, comparing him to Will Levis, where Will Levis mechanically is really tight and that might not improve. I think that there is a chance Richardson could improve his mechanics uh, and you know be more consistent with that just because of he is such a natural athlete uh, and understanding how the body moves and it, it, this is really weird but my comparison is I've done musical theater and I know I'm a terrible dancer because I can see what somebody else is doing I can know what I'm doing wrong but yet I'm so stiff that like I can't correct what I'm doing. But I think Richardson's the opposite of that. Just knowing like the way that your body is moving and being able to change it. Um, but his accuracy is a little bit erratic. Is probably the best word. Like he misses high a lot as well. I think it yeah. is. It's something with these athletic quarterbacks. Cam Newton was the same way. He missed high all the time, and and it it stayed with him into the NFL. Um, okay, I've I've got my theory for this and. I'll, I'll, I'm curious if you agree or not because I, I think that the looseness we talked about with his throwing is directly connected with this because when when he misses high, uh, you see, it's always when he's flat-footed. And it's because his, he's, his arm is so good that when he's looking to throw like a 15-yard in, he just flicks it. And and most guys can't do that. Like most guys have to load up and make a throw. But when he's just staying there, if he doesn't think about his mechanics, he'll just flick the ball down the field. And 
if it's all if it's accurate, it gets there. It's it's fine. But I do think that he has to get a lot more consistent with his mechanics because what you're talking about there, the missing high, I I don't think his throwing motion looks bad. Like I, I think he looks yeah. like a pretty natural thrower. It doesn't look like somebody that's just never gonna be able to throw accurately. Like even with Cam, like sometimes like the way he threw looked was- like it was just different than everybody yeah, else. It, like, was, it was like laborious. Like it just felt like he was like just like jerking the ball, like forcing it. Richardson looks a lot more normal. It's just mm-hmm. I think his footwork is not consistent at all. And part of that is because it's so easy to rely on the athleticism when you're when you're that kind of guy. But I, I do think it can be improved, but that doesn't mean it's going to be as he as he gets into the NFL. Yeah, and again, like Josh Allen, everybody wants to find the not, next Josh Allen, like this project that we can improve his accuracy and it usually doesn't happen. So I think that that outcome is going to be rare. Like if if Richardson does it, it is not, it should not be expected that he is suddenly this accurate passer in the NFL. Uh, He probably will have accuracy issues. Yeah. Um, But you come back to the strengths that he brings his arm strength. I thought that actually his deep ball is also really good. Uh, there are times where, again, it's not there, but he he makes some plays where not just running the ball, but some of the throws that he would make, I was just like, wow. Like, how did – didn't look like a window, but he got it there. And, you know, he, yeah. he put his guy in a chance to, to catch it. The first offensive play of the LSU game, they go play action, he hits a deep ball. And there's multiple throws like this over the course of the season, but that's one of the examples if you're trying to go back and watch it. Like – it's also with touch. Like it's not just mm-hmm. velocity down the field. Like he understands that he needs to get air under the ball. And he did that, that a lot better than Levis. Yes. A hundred percent. Like even Levis's D balls, like it's on the money, but it's still like most of the time, just an absolute rocket. Like Richardson, you see him understand that he needs to show touch. I still think he need like in the same way as Levis, he has to do it way more, especially on short throws. Like, first of all, let's take a second. The Florida receivers are awful. Like, I don't know, like, they're so bad. They were pretty, there there were a lot of times I was like, oh, he should have caught that. Like, his his completion percentage was low and it should have been a good bit higher. Yeah. And that's like, I think it's going to, it'll hurt him more than other people because the narrative is already that he's inaccurate, which to some extent is true, but there are a lot of balls that get dropped that are by a normal college receiver should definitely get caught. And and it's, it's frustrating when you watch because it's like, okay, like this guy's already a guy that needs help in this regard. Like you can't – like these are mistakes that are really costing him. But with the short range stuff, there are bad misses. Like the swing pass, he's like not good – he's not good at throwing the swing pass at all. Like he doesn't understand the depth on it very much. I think that some of that times, is the me- the mechanics you mentioned. Like yes. he, he's just he's just dumping it out there. Yeah, and especially on those when it's kind of like when you're not – put like when you're throwing to the side – if you don't fix those mechanics pointed in that direction, like it's all arm at that point, even more than it is going to be when you're throwing over the middle of the field. But yeah. And then the like little slants and stuff like that, like some, there's a couple, I remember there's one on a fourth down where it's like a little two yard slant and he just fires it like immediately. (laughs) He just, it's just a rocket. It's like, these guys already can't catch. Like there's no way that these guys are going to bring it in. And I, I, I do think that stuff can be improved upon. But I, I don't see that ever going away from his game just because mm-hmm. it's really hard in the moment to be like, oh, I'm going to dial this one back. Like if that's not natural to you, I do think that that's difficult to figure out. But there are times when you see him show touch, even if it is more down the field, where 
I wouldn't completely rule it out, but I do think that's always going to be a part of his game that that is a weakness for him. It's just like understanding when to dial it back more and you know, a coach can probably help with that a lot if he if he gets to a good system where where he has a good quarterback coach, but I think it's always going to be there. Yeah, and not to uh not to keep kind of bringing up these negatives with him, but I think that as really the project probably the biggest project of the group i would say yeah definitely. um the the most things that he has to work on uh he really does not do well with pressure and as as mobile and as athletic he was there were a lot of times where i think because he held the ball too long he would still find himself getting sacked and i was thinking like you cannot run these guys you could probably run over these guys but because you were not aware of where the pressure was coming from or you just held the ball too long in the pocket and didn't try to get out. There were some sacks that he took that I was really, I was kind of questioning. And also I thought there were times, okay, I, I was reading a little bit earlier and people were talking about the Florida offensive line. What was your opinion of the Florida offensive line last year? I, I thought they were pretty good. I mean, Torrance is like the first rounder stud guy. Yeah. Especially in the run game, like they were, they were dominant. I don't know yeah. that they were elite in pass protection, but run run game, like they had one of the best run games in the league. But I think they, I would say they were good, but not great in pass blocking. Yeah, and that was that was kind of my thought was in Torrance is he's just he he's a mauler like yeah he he just paves the way. But I thought that the pass blocking at times was like awful. But other times I was thinking it was bad, but then I'd realize he's Richardson stood there for like four seconds, like four full seconds, five seconds holding the ball. And you can't do that, especially when you have that much athleticism. He should have taken off a lot more than he even did, because there were times where if he had taken off, he probably would have scored. Because this is one of the weirdest things. I I don't know if I've ever seen this. And I, I noticed the same exact thing. I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback this mobile that I've said he should have run more. Yeah. Like in college, it's always like, oh, like Lamar, can he can he actually stay in the pocket? Does he take off the run too soon? Malik Willis, I mean, if he saw anything, <laughs> he's gone immediately. Yeah. With him, and I I kind of I almost look at it as, as a good thing long term, and maybe that's just my like Florida glasses viewing him through this lens, but I I think it's good that he's trying to be a quarterback. Like I, I think and that's not to say yeah. that he's always making the right decision, but it seems like he's really he wants to go through his reads. Like he wants to see the play out. And there are times, and it was the same way when they ran read options, where it's like, okay, a normal quarterback should hand that off. Like the 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 edge player is there. Your read is to hand that off. But I guarantee you, if you just keep that ball, there's no way he's tackling you because no one ever tackled him one-on-one. Like it never happened. So I wonder if he'll be more aggressive with that in the NFL because I don't know that I've ever seen a quarterback that is that athletic that actually trends more towards not using that athleticism. And I almost wonder, like, is that a good thing or a bad thing at this point in his career? And he he is a guy that I think fit matters the most for. Um, I think that you put him in the right system and with kind of like Lamar, uh, an offensive coordinator who's going to build around his running, that's what he needs. Uh, he needs the Greg Roman. He needs Todd Munkin, honestly. So Ravens, maybe they trade Lamar. Maybe they uh, 
or maybe they uh, get some picks and move up and grab Richardson. But I, I think that honestly that very, the only thing that would like, make me not have like emotional damage from trading Lamar. It, and not to say Richardson would be even close to as good, but it'd be fun though. I, I could at least like have fun then. Like if yeah. it's Tyler Huntley next year, like no, like that's not we can't. No, they they that. don't need to do that. Yeah, uh, I I do think like even with him, like the I the throwing is not like great, but <laughs> even a lot of the picks like. A lot of them are not his fault when you watch them back. They're like balls that get tipped or, you know, the Kentucky, the second Kentucky interception where the linebacker just one hands the ball out of the air. It's like, I, I don't really think that was a bad decision. Like, I think a guy just made a really good play, but you also see the mix ups, like the other Kentucky interception where, you know, it's, you know, I don't know whose fault that was between the receiver and the quarterback, but that, the miscommunications are certainly there. And that's obviously on him to some extent as the quarterback. But I also see him throwing with great time, especially Ricky Pearsall, the little white wide receiver, where's number one. I'm sure you saw him. Yeah. When, when he's going over the middle of the field, like he layers the ball well in between zone. He throws with velocity and it's on target. You know, he sometimes misses high, but he understands where the ball needs to be. And I think that's what makes this whole evaluation with him so difficult is most of the time when you, with guys like Willis, for example, you see it and you're like, okay, like maybe sometime down the road it's there, but he's so far away that it's like, I, I don't even know what to think about this. With Richardson, I feel like a lot of the things that are concerns, you at least see enough of it on the tape to suggest that it can be developed. Yeah, he flashes. And, he flashes pretty much everything. And like a lot of people, you know, if you're the, if you're the upside person, you're probably saying, yeah, like obviously then that's, that's what you should do. But, and if you're the person that's more skeptical, you're like, okay, well, if it's all flashes, like what is it actually going to show? But when you watch it, you see him going through the things that an NFL quarterback needs to do. It's just not consistent yet. And that I think makes the evaluation so difficult because you're sitting here and you're saying like, this guy legitimately could be one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL if things go right, but there's also a chance that it never works. And if you invest a ton of resources into a guy and you try to develop him, like it's going to be really hard and it's going to set your franchise back because he is going to need time. And so after the first couple of years, if he's bad, you're still going to be saying, well, you know, we have to give him time because we knew this was probably going to be how it was all along. And then you could be four years down the road realizing, man, like we just spent four years going nowhere. But on the other hand, like that might be worth the risk because the upside is so tantalizing with him that it, it still might be worth it. Yeah, and I think that he has um, he has a wide range of outcomes. Uh, my best case comp, this one was also a really tough one just because we don't see guys his size that move as well as he does. Uh, I, I said Dante Culpe- Culpepper. Okay, um, yeah, I think that's good. Dante Culpepper was also a a huge dude, bigger than Richardson a little bit, uh, ran well, not as well as Richardson. He ran like a four five two, I think, but had a cannon and uh, was able to be successful doing both. I think that Richardson, if he's successful in the NFL, will run the ball more than Dante Culpepper did. Yeah. But I think that that could be the type of player that he is, is uh, succeeds, you know, throwing the ball downfield and also, uh, moving around, running the ball. But I think on the other end, you have another guy like uh, Vince Young is like a very realistic outcome where like he was drafted really high. He was expected to come in and, and be able to do all these things. And 
he just didn't he couldn't put it together. Um, I, there are probably a better worst case comps, but that was that was kind of the one that, that was I, mine. I, I mean, that was I, yours. Okay, yeah, like I had Vince Young because it's there's so few guys that come out with that skill level, and the I'll explain why I don't think he's going to be Vince Young, and that's because I Vince Young did not fail because of his skill; he failed because of his mental. I was. Makeup. Yeah, and, and that was that was one of the reasons that I hesitated to pick that one. And Richardson, I'm not saying he's Tom Brady in terms of a leader, but Matt Miller said at the combine that he interviewed very well, and that and I know that's always that could be agent propaganda. Like you never know what to trust with that stuff, but he does seem very driven. Like yeah, I, you can I tell he wants it. Like and, and so all of this projecting is so hard because. You never like. I don't think anyone would have said anything bad about Deshaun Watson before that stuff comes up. And obviously, I'm not like that's a worst case scenario. But it, it's all it's very hard to project that. But I don't see those red flags with him. In fact, I think he's on the positive end of that. And that's another thing that when you're hoping a guy develops, that matters more. Like with jo- with a guy that comes in and is elite already, like Trevor Lawrence. I don't really care if he doesn't work hard because he's already so good. Like it's probably not going to matter. But with Richardson, like that's super important. Like, is he going to be working on his craft like Josh Allen, who I had as the best case comp, which really the answer is no one because we've never seen any athlete like this before. But Josh Allen, he cares. He wants to improve. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important thing with him. And I, I do think he has that, which which encourages me long term with him because, you know, as we get into ranking these guys, I think I think it's really difficult, but that that does leave me optimistic long term. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I fully agree, and I don't think I think that really none of the top four have like major red flags as far as like character concerns, which is is really nice going into the draft. Obviously, we've had a couple other like Jalen Carter. We talked about Stetson Bennett already, but like none of these four guys really have anything that would like make you pause and say. Yeah, yeah. Hold I up. think Stroud is like the calm, cool, collected. Like the he's just like the guy that's like been there, done that. Young is just like the lovable. I think guy that like just seems like a super really nice, nice dude. to like everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Richardson feels like the just like super driven. Like I want to be the best. Like intense, that kind of guy. like intense. super intense. Yeah, and then Levis is just like dude. I like Levis is wild. Like he's the like I'm gonna drink the protein shake with 500 <laughs> grams of protein and a banana and all this like the. I'm the rah rah leader guy. Like, so they all yeah. kind of have their niche, which should be interesting through the interview process. But let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we'll rank these guys and talk a little bit about fit, um, and, and then we'll be done. So uh, we'll be back after this quick break. All right, and we're back from that final break. So let's dive into the top four here, and then we'll talk a little bit about team fit at the end. So. John, if you just want to give your top four, uh, just run through it. You can explain like a little bit, like give kind of a quick explanation of rationale. I'll do the same, and then we'll start to dive in on specifics here. Yeah, uh, man, the first spot is still so tough for me. Um, I think that I think I personally would go CJ Stroud just because I think that the floor is higher, uh, the ceiling is still really high kind of know what he's going to be uh and it it should be really really good um but it hurts me to put Bryce Young to uh Bryce Young we didn't really mention earlier but like his leadership his uh he's always like really cool and calm and collected uh and 
the you mentioned the way that he comes across to everybody. I think that that is going to help him in the NFL. Like he he will be able to play up to his strengths, and I think that he he's one of the guy he's one of the people that like the whole team is going to buy in to this guy. Um, but I think that there's not a lot separating those two, and then I kind of have it as like a a pretty not a huge drop off, but there is a little bit of a drop off <clears throat> after that first tier. Uh, as like both of them are more sure things, I would have Richardson third uh, because of the upside. I think that he probably has the most upside uh, of the four, just with his athleticism, his arm, um, and to your to what you mentioned. Like he, he does seem like he really wants it. He's driven, uh, so hopefully he's able to figure that out. And then Levis, um, I think there's still a lot to like about Levis and. I don't think he's a distant fourth from Richardson, but uh, I do think that as an older prospect with some of the issues that he does and some of the, the ball security problems, it, it it would just give me a lot of pause to draft him higher than the other guys. Yeah, I, I'll start with four. I agree with Levis. I think Levis is the only guy I would not be willing to take with the first overall pick if I was a team. I, I think the other three, for obviously different reasons, would... Yeah. have an argument to go Levis to me is more of a mid round guy because of the because of the age because of the um, mistakes and just there's I think he has the least amount of strengths of any of these top guys that I can point to like once you get past like the arm strength and the the accuracy there's not a ton else to get to like we said that impacts the game on a high level. But now with the top three. So I had Bryce at three. I, like I said, I think the top three is really close. Like I struggled a lot with the top three. Um, With Bryce, I think really the point I already made is what caused me to put him there, which is I do think he has a ceiling because of the size and because of the, the what happens when he's in the pocket. Not to say he's bad there, but I think there are limitations there. The The injury concern with the size is also a real thing just because of the culmination of hits that can happen over a course of a career. I'm not somebody that would say that, that you know he shouldn't be drafted in the first round because of that or that he doesn't deserve to go top five. Like I still think he's a legit prospect, but when you're weighing that against these other guys, I do think that matters. And like you said, you know, I, I still think like he, he's probably the guy I'm most confident in, like mentally to figure it out. But there are like the physical limitations definitely uh, would, would put, have, have him below Stroud and Richardson for me. So I'll just go to one first. So I have Richardson at one. That probably doesn't surprise you a ton based on how I talk. <laughs> I, this from the beginning we talked about the philosophy of upside versus a sure thing, and I told you like I lean upside more. I fully acknowledge that it is more likely that C.J. Stroud is a good player. It's more likely that Bryce Young is a good player than Richardson, but I just don't think like. And if I was a GM, my thought process might be different because my job is on the line. But I just have a really hard time not taking the guy I think can be one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen if things work out when the other guys I don't think can reach that point. And it's, I, I think it would be different if there was another guy that I felt like had that upside, like whether it's a 
even like a Joe Burrow, for example, where you would say, okay, like the physical tools aren't ridiculous, but what you've seen from him, like he can be a top five quarterback in the NFL. That for me would be the big difference. But here, I think you're really having to weigh a couple guys with that are very good prospects, but that do have some limitation on their ceiling, even if they're still probably going to be really good players. And with Richardson, the, the biggest thing for me that leads me to put him there, like we mentioned, is the progress and the, the process you see him going through where he flashes the things that you want to see from a guy in his current position. And honestly, like I, I really struggled with Stroud and him because I, I really like Stroud. I like Stroud a lot more than I thought I would. Honestly, like if if I was a GM like fearful of my job, I think I would just pick him one probably and move on because I just think he's like the sure thing in this draft. But with him, we talked about the arm strength limitations, but I I don't like I really have nothing bad to say about Stroud. I just would re- in my process like I would just rather take the upside swing and so that kind of leads me to Richardson and I guess now that I'm saying that, people are probably thinking, okay, well, why on earth is Levis fourth? And really the answer is because the path, I see the path for Richardson and for Levis, I don't see it as much. I just, I think that with Richardson, like uh, obviously, you know, upside matters, but the, the realistic, it, it also has to be realistic for it, for it to actually matter. And with Richardson, I think it is. Now, is it a high percentage still? Probably not, but I legitimately think he can get there. And I, I have a really hard time passing on a guy when when I think he can be one of the best best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned uh you mentioned like the ability to like to improve and to maximize like the physical talents. And Anthony Richardson, like, if he does that, he probably is like the best quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> Uh, just because physically, like nobody else has his his talents and gifts, there are guys that come close, and I think that teams are more willing to bet on that recently than they used to be because you've seen the Patrick Mahomes, you've seen the Josh Allen, you've seen some of these guys like come in and and actually make it happen. But uh, I, I think that that does play in his favor because people are going to look at him, and they're going to think this is the next Josh Allen. We we got to get him. Uh, so I, I think that that might be. Uh, a good way to like start talking about team fits. I don't. I don't know if yeah, you had more to say about ranking because but. I think the the high. You know, it's always talked about high upside, low floor, and I I I obviously agree his floor is lower than Stroud and Bryce, but I also think that we're seeing now that there's a new form of a high floor quarterback, which is the quarterback that can run for like Jalen Hurts, for example, when he came into the league. He was not a good thrower yet. And obviously he has improved a yeah. ton since then, especially on the deep ball. Like his deep ball is great now. But he was able to play from from an early point in his career because he could run, because the Eagles built an offense around that. Lamar, Same with Justin yeah, Fields. Fields, exactly. Chicago and last year. With Fields, he did it with no talent. Like they had no good receivers, if, unless you're a Darnell Mooney, like Stan and a Chase Claypool guy. Like they, <laughs> their offensive line was terrible, and yet their offense was still pretty good later in the year once they figured out how to run that mobile like the offense around his running game. So I I 
I'm not suggesting at all that his floor is higher than Stroud or Bryce because I I don't think I've heard that like, though I, I've heard that like thrown out there and it's a it's a compelling yeah, I, argument. I don't think that it's insane to say that. Like I would not believe it, but I, I generally I, I think that's a legitimate argument. But it's because the run game. You saw the same thing with Lamar. The Ravens went on a run his the first his rookie year when he comes in and he he did not really know how to play football yet at that point. But the the athleticism is such so much of a benefit that. It does bail you out a lot of the time when you make mistakes that he is inevitably going to make, and so I, I think because of that, I the the floor talk scares me a little less, which is also why I'm a little more willing to take the swing on the upside. And the, the question with him really is like, how much is he going to let you evolve your offense as you you have him as your quarterback? Because with Hurts, you saw this year the Eagles were able to add the explosive passing game. That I think is the progression that Richardson needs to be focused on. It's early on, okay, we're going to use your tools, we're going to get you really comfortable, and then we're going to surround you with talent, and we're going to play to your strengths. And if a team does that with him, and this is where I think we can get into team fit, if a team does that with him, I I think there there could be really good results. But obviously, he's the guy that I think is most dependent on that out out of these four guys. Yeah, so I think think considering, like, team fit, uh, well... Let's just let's just talk about like Carolina just traded up to number one like right as we were starting this podcast, uh, and obviously it's it's been talked about like Chicago was going to trade out of the first pick. Uh, they don't need a quarterback. There are tons of quarterbacks out there, so they probably were able to you know, sit back and let people make their offers and just pick the best one. Uh, I think that they made a great trade, <laughs> uh, getting back uh, number nine. Number 61, kind of recoup a little bit of, you know, you lose that second rounder in the uh, Chase Claypool trade. Uh, But you also not only get the first rounder next year and second rounder in 25, but also to get DJ Moore back. Like, uh, that is what, that is exactly what they needed. And a receiver like DJ Moore was not out there in free agency. So I think that Chicago was never going to stay at one. They were always going to trade to somebody who needed a quarterback. Um, for me, Carolina, they've been, they've been looking for the next guy since Cam Newton. Um, so I don't know if they look at past history and say, well, we're just going to take Anthony Richardson and try to get Cam Newton 2.0 and build around him like we never did when Cam was here. Or if they go opposite and say, we're going to take CJ Stroud. He is the sure thing. He is like, we, we have a lot of other pieces in place already. Let's just take him and and uh, know that we're going to get something good. Yeah, and Carolina is one of those places where I think I I would trust them to develop a quarterback if they need to. Like with Frank Reich now there as head coach, I do think he's a guy that is a, is a good offensive mind. I would I would feel comfortable with him developing a quarterback. But like you said, when you give up that many assets to go up, are you really going to take a guy that you're kind of unsure about? So. I will be very curious to see kind of what the buzz is around the Panthers as we get closer to the draft, because now that they've traded up to one, there's, I don't think there's much. Oh, okay. Well, wow. So heading into today, Bryce Young was about minus 200 to go number one. And I think Stroud was like plus 200. Richardson was about plus 400. CJ Stroud is now minus 450 to be the number one overall pick. So I mean, take it for what it's worth. That doesn't, you know, 
that doesn't mean it's happening, but that, that's a pretty big swing after the Panthers move up. I, I think that would be my guess uh, as to what they do because I think you're to me you're either trading up for the guy that can be the the absolute ceiling or you're trading up for the guy that is the most pro ready. It's I feel like it's one of the two, and, and Stroud I think is that answer for the pro ready side. So that to me seems like Carol, what Carolina would be looking for, and, and I think it makes sense for them. I, I think Stroud would fit pretty well there with Frank Reich, and uh, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good outcome for the Panthers. Yeah, I, I think ultimately, if I were in their position, especially with Frank Reich as the coach, Stroud would be my pick. Not just because he's number one, but because I think that he does fit uh, Frank Reich's system best. Uh, I think there are certain teams where they would probably lean Bryce Young, but. I really think with them trading into the first pick, I think there probably is no way that it's Bryce Young. Uh, I think it's C.J. Stroud, probably, most likely. And then if it's not, it's probably Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I agree. And so with with these other guys now, let's just go through, um, if you if you have a team, if not, that's fine, that you think would be the best fit for the other three guys. So Richardson, Bryce, and Levis. Um is there is there a certain team and I, I can start here so with I'll, we'll go Richardson first because he's kind of the other guy we've been focusing on here. I don't know if this will happen, but I would love for Seattle to take him at five. Um, I think you get first Gino kind of s- signed the short term extension recently, where I think that gives Richardson a runway to kind of get accustomed to the NFL. I also just think Seattle is a good organization. Like I think they would yeah. I think they would do a good job of developing him if they took him. And they had that great draft class last year too. Yeah, so like there's young know talent that they there. would be. And set up. I also kind of like the Geno mentoring idea just because I think he's good at a lot of the things that Richardson needs to improve upon. Like the things like Geno is decisive in the pocket. He's a pretty accurate thrower. I think that would be a good outcome and it would also allow Richardson to not be thrown into the fire immediately. So I don't know if that's the team that you think of for him or if you have another one, but what are your thoughts on Anthony Richardson's team fit? Uh, um, I think that Seattle's a really good one. I think also Detroit would be really yes. fun. Uh, I think that, sorry. Uh, I think that uh, they would, Ben Johnson would be able to build an offense around him uh, very well. And you also, you have Jared Goff. So again, you have the established starter that can kind of like be the guy for now while Richardson figures things out and figures out like how to function in the NFL. So I I also, I, I've kind of been on the whole, uh, the Lions bandwagon the last couple of years. They're, they're just really fun. I watched Hard Knocks and like, they, they were just a lot of fun. So I think that Detroit would be a lot of fun. I, I do for, think that's uh, probably the best outcome. Like, that because they're just kind of the fun young team, and Richardson is like that's the, that's how, that's what Richardson is. He's like one of the most fun players you can you can watch. Yeah, so, yeah I think those two are my favorite. But um, all right, so now with Bryce, um, for me, honestly, I kind of just like the Texans because I I, I was gonna say I feel that. like they yeah. just need like, like an adult in the room to like calm things yeah. down. Like, okay, it's gonna be okay. Like we have we have a quarterback here. They're still kind of building up their roster. So I I like Bryce just there because I feel like he would be able to kind of lead them in the right direction organizationally. 
And also, like, he's a great talent. Like, he's going to he's gonna be a pretty good player. Um, I, I don't know if the Texans want to, like, take a huge swing on, like, Anthony Richardson <laughs> and then, like, be bad for four more years. But, yeah, I, I think Bryce makes a lot of sense in Houston. I think it's a good fit for both sides. Yeah, and maybe part of this is the Alabama fan in me, but, like, D'Amico Ryans being the coach, he, he was, like – 2005 was when I started watching football, and that was Alabama's good defense with D'Amico Ryans playing linebacker, and then he like gets drafted, has a really successful career. But with him coming in as the head coach, it'd be so fun for Bryce Young to also come in and be the superstar quarterback that Young they need. Uh, throwing to Mechie, yeah, coming off his uh, leukemia, uh, successful recovery. Um, yeah, that, that would be... For the Alabama fan in me, like the best possible outcome. But I think that it's very realistic too. Uh, you mentioned like they just need stability. After Deshaun Watson, I think they want absolutely no questions about the guy's character. And I think Bryce Young might be the guy that like you have the least concern. Not that you have any concerns about the other guys, but he's probably like least concerned. Yeah, yeah he's like the like let him date your daughter guy out of this class. Like that's the absolutely like, that's the guy, but. His mom is the, a teacher at my sister's elementary – or my sister's uh, – oh, sorry, my, my niece's elementary school. Yeah. And my sister has, like, kind of met his mom. And, like, she's super nice. Like, family's great. Yeah. yeah. Awesome I people. Think, I think that's definitely a good fit there. And then, all right, with Levis, I – out of, like, the realistic teams, I kind of like the Raiders there just because I think, like, Levis – would just the difference in talent from like Kentucky to Vegas with what they have with like Devonte and Darren Waller, uh, Hunter Renfro. I I like that idea for him, and I think Josh McDaniels would be a really good play caller to pair with him because McDaniels I think is a guy that can adjust and like play to people's strengths. I think he's pretty adaptable as a coordinator, so. I think he would do a good job of kind of what we talked about earlier about catering to, to what Levis um, is good at and, and getting away from what he's going to struggle with early in his career. I also think it's somewhere where he's going to get to play. And honestly, I think like that's where I lean towards with him. Like I think he just needs to play. Like I think he needs to get on the field. So I think Vegas would be good for that. And it's about as good of a supporting cast as you can ask for if you're a top 10 pick. Yeah, I think that that one makes a lot of sense as far as like where he might succeed the most. Uh, you mentioned McDaniels. Like McDaniels probably could take any four of these guys and like make them good, especially with what they have here. Uh, Will Evans might be the like iffiest of those four again, but like uh, if we're assuming the other three are probably gone by this point, if there's any chance that the Raiders could get him, uh, something about like him with Devonte Adams does seem like kind of exciting. Uh, I think that the loser of the uh, Chicago Carolina trade is it's got to be the Colts at this yes. point, and that's where I think that I think the Colts, if Levis is available at four, are probably taking him. It just seems like a it seems like an Indianapolis pick. Uh, they've always bet on these like high high drafted highly drafted quarterbacks, and it's worked out for them in the past. But I just don't see them taking an Anthony Richardson type. Will Levis seems like more like the type like of quarterback Wentz. that they would take. Yes, so like I, I don't know. It, yeah. No, I, I just I, see I don't it. see him. I, see I don't see him making it past them. Yeah. 
Uh, and maybe it's just a Jim Irsay thing, but like, yeah, I think what probably throws a wrench in things is if Richardson goes like one or two, then you start to see, yeah. like, okay, like, do the Colts take Bryce? Like, do they take Levis over Bryce? Like, I think that's where you start to things get really interesting. But yeah, the other thing because I think the Texans might take CJ Stroud. In yes, that. yes, and the other thing that I think will become very interesting now is it does does Arizona start talking to Las Vegas? And start talking to Indianapolis and say, hey, like, we think both of you like Will Levis or, you know, whoever, like, who wants pick number three? Like, does, like, let's get interesting here because now there's a lot of time to talk about this. Like, teams are going to be trying to gather intel on who these other teams like. And because this class is so close together relative to most classes up at the top, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty about who these teams like and who they want to take, which makes the trade up conversation. I think more interesting because teams have no idea who's going to be available to them at where they're selecting, which I think makes them more motivated to go up and get their guy if they view one of these guys as as the the best guy for their roster. So I think that'll be really interesting to follow now that the the Panthers have traded up to the first overall pick to see, you know, is there any more fallout from this? Is there another team that tries to make another move up towards the top of the draft? Yeah, and I think I didn't give all the context with what I said a minute ago, but I think it kind of goes to what you were saying. Indianapolis, the reason they lost this trade, even though they weren't involved in it, obviously Houston's not going to trade to them uh, in division, and they need a quarterback. So they automatically miss out on, even if they had two guys top of their board, there's no way they're getting either of those guys because Carolina traded up for a quarterback. Houston is staying put. They're probably going to draft a quarterback. So... That might mean that Indy, if they want a certain one of the other two that are left, they might have to trade up with Arizona. They might not be able to sit back at four. Uh, And I think that that gets really interesting. Uh, I know when we talked last year about the draft class, um, I kind of predicted that we might see the most trades ever in the first round, which pretty much happened. We had all kinds of trading uh, down. Uh, there There were a lot of moves made. And really, it spoke to... There were a lot of teams that didn't want to be in the first round uh, because a lot of the depth was in the second and third round of last year's class. Um, and the first round was really – it had a few guys that you know should be there, but it didn't have the depth in the first round. This year, I think that with the quarterback situation, it makes the top ha- half of the first round – or not top half, but the, the top part, the first like five to ten picks, really top heavy. And I think that we'll see a lot more action. Uh, as the draft approaches, because you know these teams, a lot of them need quarterbacks a lot more than they did last year, and there are four guys out there that you know they really want, so they're going to keep trading up to make sure that they can get these other guys. And I also think that's what makes Seattle and Detroit really interesting here is they have the opportunity to take a quarterback, but they also have the opportunity here to take Will Anderson and Jalen Carter at like five and six. Absolutely, if, if, guys, <laughs> if guys, if quarterbacks just keep flying off the board, so it, I, I'm really excited for this draft. I think it's going to be really interesting in the lead up to it, trying to figure out what these teams at the top are going to do um, is going to be really fun because there, I mean, there are realistic scenarios that I think are going to be very crazy. Like if let's say Richardson goes one, let's say Stroud goes two. like who takes Bryce? Like how far yeah. does Bryce fall? Because like, let's say the Raiders, like you are like if the Colts take Levis, like do the Raiders like Bryce? Maybe not. Like, at that point, like is Bryce falling outside the top ten? Like it, 
I think they're they're. I don't think that's likely at all because, like we said, I think Stroud probably goes one. But there are realistic scenarios in this draft that have chaos breaking out uh, on draft yeah. night, which I think is going to make it really exciting. And then you throw Jalen Carter and his complete unknown at this point. We, we talked a little bit earlier before we started recording about like there's a chance that all that gets resolved and he's back in like surefire top five, but. Jalen Carter throws a big wrench in there because talent-wise, he should be up there with the top quarterbacks. But with the off-field questions right now, how far does he slip? Uh, and then who who gets pushed up because of that? Uh, so I think that the top few picks will be really interesting in this draft in a way that we haven't necessarily had in a little while. All right. I think that basically wraps us up. Uh, John, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Do you have anything else to add before we before we wrap? No, uh, I appreciate you asking me to do this. You know, I, I don't I don't record regularly ever. <laughs> I don't have my own podcast, but I enjoy like doing these one off uh, draft segments, like with you or uh, we recorded with Clay last year. So yeah, it's basically what uh, this has turned into too. Since it's been like two months since I've put anything out, but school school has to come <laughs> first, I guess. But yeah, I think my last episode yeah. was a. Uh, semi-final college football semi-final breakdown so oh yeah, it's been a minute but <laughs> yeah so it's it's been yeah, a minute but it's fun too. it's fun when i can do it so um thanks for coming on thanks to everybody who listened uh, i hope you enjoyed this podcast it's one of my favorite things to to talk about with the quarterbacks in the nfl draft so thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time